looking for tomorrow to come in and be the best that I can be in training and to train as hard as I possibly can and then I'll move on to the next day and that's how I've looked at my career. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's half past seven. It's Monday morning. Let's do this for the second last time. Owen, how are you? I'm very well. What is the crack? No crack. What's going on with you? How are you? What's the what's the current level of strung outness in, in advance of your imminent trip that now the whole world knows about? Yeah. It's... You were, the Irish goodbye that you, was, you were desperately planned for. We ruined that, and I apologise sincerely for that, but I've enjoyed every moment of it. Yeah, it, this isn't like culminating to something. This has just become one of the most sickening narratives in, in Irish media for a lot of What if of you people. don't go? What if you decide at the last minute now to be like, do you know what, I, I can't really... I don't, I'm scared of the big bugs that are down there and the snakes. Yeah. And, and all of those things that are like, you know, all the danger that I'm putting myself in the way of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I've, I've yeah, just, just tried... If, like it's it's spider season in Ireland. Like it's the time of year where you have got the insects moving into the house. I've tried to embrace that as much as possible, uh, just in in terms of practice. And um, yeah, I think I could bottle it on Wednesday. I'd just be like, nah. I got up this morning. I was very tired, and I was like, I can't actually be bothered getting out of bed on Wednesday for my flight. Is there is there um, any chance of an upgrade? Could we get? To, could, is the least that we could do? You know, talk you into an upgrade somehow on the flight? Yeah. Oh my God, Delta Airlines. Hello. Slide into my DMs. I will follow you immediately. Maybe you should follow them first so that they just have access. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, I followed you all I the can't time. can't find the Irish Times. It's a big story. Oh, there it is. A big, uh, big, Delta, big Delta guy. Front of the Irish Times. Invasive new spider up to 230 times more poisonous. Did you see this? This Where? is why you're leaving. This country's screwed. Oh, it's the, the spiders have come here as well. Yeah, they're already okay. here. The false widow spiders are 230 times more poisonous than domestic Irish spiders. And they're killing all the, all the ones that we had already. Okay, right. Yeah. Uh, it can adapt its attacking behaviour to prevail in different battle scenarios. And battle scenarios oh. is in inverted commas. So. It's like a, a, a Megazord version of a spider. Yeah. Um, well, the people have been very kind. They've been very generous with, um, with their messages to you. We've got one here from one of the greatest footballers of his generation, Lee Keegan. Come on down. Owen, how are you? Just want to wish you the very best on your travels for next year. And... Um, I'm surprised it took you this long to uh, to realise that you need to get out of there. Um, I know all mess inside. I know the guys are going to miss you a lot, uh, especially on the banter uh, throughout the campaign and stuff like that. So, um, hope you have a great time. I'm sure you'll make the wise decision and come back to the great guy and off the ball. So, listen, have a great time. Chat to you and get back. Take care. We didn't get one from anybody on the Mayo County board who were in the in the room <laughs> that night that you uh, you made your report. Yeah, there's a bit of, um, thankfully, a bit of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, a dichotomy maybe between the players and the county board officials of that, uh, of that era, thankfully. Yeah, uh, thanks very much for that. At 7.33 this morning, we're uh, going to tell you what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. Our performance rankings, Mark Lawrence, and 10 past 8. Another 9-0, the annual one for Liverpool. Uh, sports pages, we'll talk about the live golf situation and Rory McIlroy, of course. Andy Mitten at 8.50 who's going to be happier than we've had him on in a long time. Uh, Alan Quinlan back with us at uh, 10 past nine. An incredible weekend of rugby. Uh, just when you thought it was safe, it definitely wasn't safe for the New Zealand rugby fans. We'll talk about that in a moment. And the Sunday papers at 9.30. Um, so, we'd love to hear from you. 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. For those of you unfamiliar, and there's still people in the message going, what? What's the story? I was leaving on tomorrow. Tomorrow's his last show. So... It will finally, the plaster will finally have been removed. It's just hanging off now at the moment. This is the final episode of the Gillette Labs Performance Rankings. 
You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on their second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is just lack that intensity. I, like, I picked a really bad time to call it quits because this Aston Villa narrative over the course of the season, this would have been a very entertaining thing to be kind of have a front row seat to Aston Villa TV, which OTV can, can often be between yourselves and Mick over the next few months. And I just hope that Stephen Gerrard hangs on for the sake of the OTV AM viewer because I suspect that things will be quite interesting around here. Um, what do you want to say about Steven Gerrard who is in at number 5 he, the reddest of the red this week he, he appears to be out of his depth right? It, it doesn't look like there's a plan in place to wrestle back control of the this, this situation and it's now been long enough it, it's sustained over the end of last season and the start of this season you can't overreact it's only the first game you can't overreact it's only the second game you can't overreact it's only the third game oh Jesus this isn't getting any better is it uh, and so the uh, midweek fixture this week is Arsenal and the weekend fixture next week is Manchester City. And then after that, it's Brendan Rodgers. If Brendan Rodgers is still in situ, he might be, he might not be. He might have won two games in the meantime and Brendan Rodgers might be the one who like, I should be the next Liverpool manager that everybody talks about. <laughs> uh, so I, I, it doesn't end well for Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa. I think we can all agree on that now that what, what, we're, what, what we're witnessing is some kind of managed exit, surely. What, do, do you want him out before the two tough fixtures? Well, it depends on who's coming in. Like the the list of next Aston Villa manager, um, Phil was making the point outside. What could happen is that uh, Brendan Rodgers gets fired before that Leicester game and then gets the Villa job. And so that's that's one. I mean, could they go back to the old firm and get the right guy this time? Probably not. Is Ant possibly going to? Come and take. The, he probably isn't. Just get Van like, Brankhorst at this stage. Mm, um, probably not. Would Brendan Rodgers take the job? Do we think that? Like, well, if you, he gets sacked from Leicester, if he gets sacked, but like, are we not saying that Leicester's fault lies in a different place than Brendan Rodgers? Obviously, the manager is to take blame, but they haven't signed anybody. Yeah, so I, I would definitely, I would say there's uncertainty there in a way that there isn't the Villa. Like the Villa owners are putting money in and they're trying to sign players. Uh, it just feels a little bit. Haphazard. The recruitment has not been hugely impressive in every step of the way. There's, there's players who they've signed who basically have never played, and they've a bloated squad at the moment. And the players who I actually trying to re- replace Anthony with one of the Villa wingers who never plays for Villa. And you're like, maybe somebody at Ajax knows a bit more about football than somebody in, in Villa at the moment. Is there a possibility? So anyway, yeah. Well, like I mean, it, it, I'm not sure. Like it's it's interesting that you say that that Aston Villa are well resourced and they have a good structure that would be enticing to someone like Brendan Rodgers. It also means that the blame is squarely at the door of Steven Gerrard. Like, are we are we seeing new things that have developed even from week one and week two? Like, is the the fact that new bad things? New bad things is what I mean. Like, I mean, the, it, or is, are the bad things that continue to be bad? Does that just make it all worse when like? For example, not having Brendy and Coutinho in the same team. I presume that's something that Villa fans are like uh, exceedingly frustrated about, and it's just getting worse the more that kind of goes on. I don't know if Villa fans want. I don't know. I I I, I didn't go on after um, the West Ham game to check exactly what the consensus was in the, the selection, but Brendy has been disappointing. Yeah, you know, and Coutinho. Uh, good for about four games when he arrived 
And then, you know, maybe if somebody else had wanted to sign him at that massive wages, but that cut down price, that would have been okay too. They could have moved on. It was like, okay, you know, we've, we've established that very good players can come here, but his form has not been great. And he'd need to really get good in the next couple of weeks if something is going to happen because it, it doesn't look like he deserves his place in the team and he's getting subbed off for Buendia. Um John McGinn's form just falling off a cliff but always in the team really um, and it just appears as if uh, it, it, after matches Stephen Jarrett comes out and complains about the players lacking imagination or the, the, the um, team lacking creativity and it's like well have you any influence over that? Is this like a is this an artwork in a gallery you're watching, or is this a, a team who's playing to your template and your selection? Now, obviously, he had a right hand man who left in the winter in the summer, and they've got somebody new in, and maybe that is taking time to bed in. And who knows? Maybe maybe it's the second coming of Pep on his coaching staff. I don't, you know, you'd be surprised if that was the case. But um, so I I don't know. Probably it looks like at this stage he's had enough opportunity over the course of his time at uh, the end of last season and the start of this season and there's been no significant uptick in performance or no architecture that the team's built on and no sign that they're making any progress and so therefore you have to say how much more time does he get? He, he obviously he gets extra time because he's Stephen Gerrard, right? If this was Dean Smith he'd be getting, he'd be getting sacked. Um, like the, the events of the weekend make that opening day results look all the worse as well. That's that's the other thing that's at play here is that Bournemouth team that, that beat Aston Villa is looking terrible and they're absolutely creamed obviously uh, on on Saturday afternoon. Like Talksport, right? Who like not particularly uh, inflammatory when it comes to this kind of stuff. Uh, Gary Neville's win rate, which you know was was doing the rounds three or four weeks ago. Uh, Gary Neville's win rate at Valencia, 35.7%. Stephen Gerrard's win rate at Villa, 35.4%. Gerrard's now had more games than Neville. Uh, he's never won consecutive home Premier League games at Villa. Villa have won three of the last 15 games in the league. They've lost to Palace, West Ham and Bournemouth. And yeah. that's, the only t- that's the only game that Palace, West Ham and Bournemouth have won this season so far. It's really that's, I think that's Palace relegation really, pretty good. It is, it is relegation form. It's, it's literally, I think, um, 16th. Uh, since since he arrived, they're, they're 16th in points gained. Okay, so um, Stephen Gerrard stays. You're going to be a relegation candidate. It's pretty clear what's going to happen unless he manages to turn it around, which, as you pointed out, there is unlikely. Yeah, those fixtures are not forgiving for a manager in danger. Um, he's also on the verge of becoming. If, if he loses the next two games, which, you know, you'd have to say the Villa will be favourites to be beaten by both Arsenal and, and City. If he loses those two games, he'll literally be the worst Aston Villa manager in history. Oh, no way. According to the stats, there was one that was doing the rounds the weekend as well. What, what will be here? Like, we don't want to get ahead of it too much. It does look like it's going to be very tricky for him to turn this around. And given the stakes, chances are he is going to be booted out the door. What, what does... Where do we go from here? Uh, where do we go from here with regards to, to Steven Gerrard? Like, in, in terms of his career. Have you, have you seen anything, like, as a Villa fan over the last year where you've like, this could maybe work at a, a bigger club or... It never, it never really struck you like Steven Gerrard was going to be the best of, of managers, did it? Like it, it always felt like um, his style of play was to be the hero and to take everything on his own shoulders. And being a manager now involves making sure that the strength and conditioning coach is like world class and that they have a plan for every single one of the senior squad and the under-23s and the under-19 so that if at any point during the season you need them, they're going to be available to you. And you need to understand the, the depth of, of work that they're doing 
uh, not just today, but to like plan six months and 12 months and two years down the line. And then you also need the same with the medical staff. And that's like three or four people. And then you need to make sure that like the agents aren't completely ruining the lives of your young footballers. And then you also need to manage the board. And then you need to have a relationship with the fans. And then you need to have a relationship with each of the individual players at those three teams. Like you can't, you can't be a hero in that scenario every day. You can't walk in and go, let's go, you know, give me the ball, which is what he did when he was playing. And that seems to have been the hallmark of him. Like, he was, always a, he was always a worrier as well. As a footballer, it always looked like he was stressed, you know? Like, except when he was scoring. And even then when he was scoring, a lot of the time it was like, yes, I've done that thing that you said I couldn't do, that there was an element of that. And that's just not perfect for being a manager of, um, you know, 150, 200 people who influence the outcome of the game at the weekend. Mm. Being a manager is hard, it turns out. Really, really hard job. And actually trying to translate the, the playing skills to to that probably isn't isn't ideal like I'm not I think he is unfortunate in that he is such an icon on the pitch that it was always going to be uh, a very harsh criticism that was going to come his way um, but those are the stakes of the Premier League I guess it's, maybe he should have stayed at Rangers I don't know maybe maybe stay at Rangers Ra- Rangers fans will tell you League. it was going starting to show signs of cracking at the end maybe cracking is a bit strong but certainly things have plateaued a little bit I think that's yeah. been their take on him um, then maybe it's a championship club like mm. you know Frank Lampard has got another couple of opportunities, which is surprising. So I guess Stephen Gerrard will get some more opportunities if this doesn't work out or if he fails to arrest the, the slide that he's in at the moment. Uh, Alan O'Neill says, pleasant surprise. I thought Owen was gone from Friday. Uh, Brian Dillon says, so while Owen is off on the adventure of a lifetime, we'll all still be here listening to the downfall of mediocre managers who manage a perpetually <laughs> mid-table team. Where did it all go wrong? I'll be, uh, I'll be listening to that. 7.44am this morning here OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day it's uh, the last uh, for now from Owen because we'll be doing this next week with somebody else just to just to let you in the secret there Owen <laughs> show must go on baby oh, I'm going to be so jealous um, the All Blacks next up in the red this morning so uh, the rugby championship is clearly drunk at the moment Argentina beating New Zealand uh, Australia beating South Africa at the weekend which is kind of a result that's gone under the radar because obviously New Zealand is the story and it's been the big show for the last month or so they're in this sort of Manchester United-esque boom-bust cycle where after every big win we think they're going to win it all and after every big defeat we think that the manager's head is going to roll and Ian Foster is he back on the chopping block now after the weekend or do we just need time for the Joe Schmidt plan to actually work and to, to permeate the minds of the people or is actually Joe Smith Schmidt just going to become head coach of the All Blacks like obviously it, it seems that if now like I mean New Zealand rugby have come out and they've backed Ian Foster and it, it, it would be a surprise if, if anything were to happen soon but if he wasn't to be All Blacks coach in a month's time or whatever, it does seem it's going to be a straight shootout between Joe Schmidt and, and Scott Robertson potentially for that job. And after the game on Saturday, Michael Cheka was talking about his, uh, his flanker, Pablo Matera, who played a full season for the Crusaders this year. And he says, I think the Crusaders have made, this is Cheka, I think the Crusaders have made a really huge mark and Scott Robertson has made a really huge mark on Pablo. Just the quality of the franchise and the coaching here. He comes back a heap better uh, mentally and technically. So Michael Cheka, I'm not sure was that deliberate or not, you know, <laughs> talking up Scott Robertson in the aftermath of beating uh, the All Blacks. 
and he also had like a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a, 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 a pop back at Ian Foster, where Foster was complaining about the refereeing, and um, he kind of like accused him of sour grapes as well. So uh, the beef may be a little bit real between Michael Checker and Ian Foster. He, he certainly thinks that Scott Robertson would be a good coach. I do uh, like Checker. He's kind of always aware of everything he's saying, and um, very compelling character. And now is turning the pumas into something really interesting, like himself and Condepomi. You know. I don't want to see them on the opposite sideline. Especially, don't want to see them on the opposite sideline during a World Cup. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's the thing about uh, next year's World Cup exit for Ireland is that it'll at least come against a good team. It's not going to be like this Argentinian team that are on the upward trajectory and are probably going to take out a big fish. There's just something more painful about losing to, to Argentina. But like, I mean, in a way, they've kind of ruined our year anyway because like this was supposed to be Ireland's moment. Yeah, and turns out everybody can do it. This, is, this was supposed to be the, the our, our great um, national arrival for, for for 2022, and yeah, everybody's just doing it. Like the, the, it's, it's it is remarkable. So some of um, this had like Argentina failed to get up within 15 points, um, something like that, maybe 12, 15 points in New Zealand at any point in their history, and uh, never mind actually beating them on New Zealand turf, and then they managed to to go and actually beat them on the day. So yeah, it's, it, it was a remarkable result for them on Saturday. Yeah, okay, so um, we will talk more about this over the course of the week as well, and we'll get Alan Quillen's thoughts on it a little bit later on. I don't know, can you sack Foster a week after you're like, oh, he's our guy now because we've had that win in South Africa and that's all we needed and we've got Joe Schmidt in the team, so everything's sorted. Can you then come out a week later and go, well, we didn't know Argentina were about to beat us. Mm. I mean, you didn't tell us that, lads. Yeah. Is that the bit where you go, okay, you're fired? It's well, like, too late, is it? Well, I think uh, it, it would be, it, there would be egg on their face if they did a U-turn now. Like I think maybe the whole Erasmus is playing chess thing is probably starting to come true a little bit. Um, that's you know, like clearly the South Africa team has not played as well as they possibly could over the last two weeks or the last two rounds. So um, I think maybe the South Africa have kept Foster in a job and potentially have uh, opened up the pathway for them to be beaten at next year's World Cup. Uh, overall, I felt they got away with some stuff at the breakdown, not releasing the ball carrier on the ground. We weren't able to deal with it, said Foster. It was an area we got hammered in the penalty count at critical times. I'm a little bit bemused by that. Check it. Well, he'd be an expert on it because his team do it all the time. So, he should know. I do love that. Right, <laughs> what's in the amber? Uh, we are going with GEA managers in the amber. And there's been a couple of interesting stories over the last few days. You've got uh, Eamon Murray, who's uh, stepped down as me, the uh, women's manager, which was uh, a bit of a bombshell, I thought, yesterday anyway, when uh, that statement came out. So, uh, he leaves after winning back-to-back All-Ireland's uh, with... Um, with Mead and uh, big news there then obviously on the, the men's side of things it looks like Ger Brennan is going to be uh, in position to take the Monaghan job R- reports um, that he's, he's been now linked to the job after a couple of people pulled out of the race to become the new Monaghan manager and the other I guess bombshell uh, at least when it comes to reports over the last 24 hours or so is the news that Conor McKenna is going back to the AFL or so it's been reported that is not something that uh, I expected to, to see happen It said that he's told their WhatsApp group um, that he's heading back to the AFL this is like this would have a significant impact on their position in the power rankings, right? It would, because you're looking at them to rekindle the greatness of 2021, and he was such a, a central part of it. Like, I mean, he had a poor season this year, I, I suppose, and like, I, it's hard to kind of say that too many Detroit players didn't have a poor season, so it's kind of hard to, to pick him out. But um, like, it's, it, I wonder, is the, are these two things linked? Him having not a great season, Toronto not having a great season, and also the decision to, to go back down under. Like, was the year that bad for Tyrone 
that it's actually forced Conor McKenna to be like, screw this, I'm actually done? Or was actually his, was his coming home always going to be a short-term thing? Was it kind of a COVID-related decision and now kind of life is back to normal and, and he has his All-Ireland medal, crucially? Is he just like, I want to go earn money and live in a great country again? I mean, it, it's, you can see it's the, the Ty Canelli blueprint, isn't it? Come home, go back. It never felt like that was his plan, though. It didn't. It, it definitely didn't. It felt like he was here for the long haul. But then, if somebody rings you up and says, here, listen, we have a contract for you, it's hard to turn that down, right? Yeah. Like, I guess, the, the, he had experienced all that before. He, he knows what it's like. He knows what the, the pitfalls of it all. And he, he had obviously weighed it up before that he was going to leave that behind. But things change. And, like, as I say, getting that All-Ireland medal, like, that could be the, the, the satisfying element of it all, that he's, he's, his job here is done. And maybe if he hadn't that all Ireland medal, maybe he'd, he'd be hanging around to try and get them over the line. But it does, of course. Like, of course, it impacts on like where, where you're looking at next year with regards to, to all Ireland contenders. Because even if he wasn't a starter in the team next year, he'd be a hell of a player to bring on. Like he was absolutely sensational throughout 2021, and the ease with which he managed to slot back into Gaelic games was actually pretty stark. And, and they used him really intelligently. They, yeah. they got the most out of him in games at different times, and the, you know they they did manage that squad perfectly when they won the All Ireland. So very interesting to see what kind of a setback this is for Tyrone when it gets confirmed. Um, and if it gets confirmed, um, Jared Brennan's reputation is obviously soaring. He's, he's been involved with Moorfields and uh, with one of the um, counties. What did I get this wrong? Was it Wicklow or Longford? Carlo, was it? Carlo, yeah. Yeah. Um, so a bit left field, but that'll be interesting. You know, the the young managers who are still like basically playing the game up till 18 months ago, I think um, that there's definitely a trend for those having an impact early doors on counties and I, I don't think Monaghan are done just yet I know talking to some Monaghan people recently they were um, a bit down on the talent coming through and the age profile of some of those players is creeping up um, and they're getting old as a group as opposed to an influx of new talent but you know one last hurrah get the band back together why not well that's it it's a one last hurrah mood which kind of feels like the theme of the GEA off season like Obviously, with no you know intercounty action over the last month, things have kind of been amplified a little bit more. But you look at that Monaghan situation, and you look at their generational talents and Conor McManus. That that is probably the, the the main thing for the new manager to get right. How do we get the most out of his last few years in a Monaghan shirt? You could say this very same thing will be asked of the Donegal manager when they come in. How are you going to get the very most out of Michael Murphy's twilight years? And to be honest, it feels the same with Mayo and Kevin McStay it's like Killian O'Connor and that cohort of older players in the Mayo squad they've got a couple of years uh, left in it but how do you make the most of them and put, and play them in conjunction with the, the new talent that's coming through so it, I think that's kind of fed into the noise over the last month this idea that you know the, the, these managerial importance are really the appointments are really really important and I think a lot of counties are kind of looking looking at last hurrah territory. And maybe even Desi Farrell is thinking that as well when, when he looks around uh, the dressing room and sees someone like James McCarthy. How do we squeeze the life out of this one last time? Like 2023 is shaping up to be a very interesting year. Yeah. You're going to miss the whole thing, Owen. Yeah. <laughs> Could be back for it. Who knows? This is the longest off-season of all time. Inter-county off-season. Yeah. It's, it's very long. So, so what the implication there would be that you'd be back in like three or, three or four weeks, is it? Does it if, I mean, that's going to be very difficult for you to... Will, will you just say nothing? You just appear one day. How you lads? Yeah, yeah. Good weekend last weekend. Yeah. yeah. Here's here's my um, here's my performance rankings. Oh, and we dropped that slot when you were away. <laughs> no one had the the pizzazz to carry it off the way you do. Yeah, Monday morning pizzazz. People will miss that's that. That's that's what people will associate with you for sure. <laughs>
definitely the, the, the energy we bring to proceedings. So what, what, what is the over-under on how long you're going to, how far you're going to make and how long you're going to be away? Over-under, I'd say six, seven months. Right. Still, no, eight, maybe nine. Big difference. <laughs> I don't know is the, full, is the, the answer. Uh, like people expect like very interesting answers when they're asking me about my plans and all that I actually don't really have many plans uh, in terms of like specific things or, or time slots or anything like that um, just going to sleep for a couple of days and then think about it in, in America yeah in, in expensive hotel rooms yes exactly there you go. Well, yeah fair enough <laughs> um, and what's your expectation like because you're going to do a bit of busing around are you yeah yeah, a hundred percent. Like I've been warned about this. That uh, what have you been warned? That's interesting. Uh, well, it's just hard because like, I'm just doing a couple of days in the states before going further south. People just say, "Don't get the greyhound bus." I'm the like, greyhound murderers. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, that's exactly how I'm planning to to get around the country. I have been on one before, and it was a lovely experience. I don't know what people talk about. This will be <laughs> this clip will be played like on the nine o'clock news <laughs> as <laughs> shocking news emerges from uh, across the Atlantic. You see, by saying that, you, 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 that's a, you're warding off the possibility of it by tempting. That's it's a, a wise decision to talk about these things openly. Cause the, the man who thought he was uh, smarter than the Greyhound bus. Um, serial killer. Yeah. I mean, you hope it'll be like a, a famous serial killer, at least. Not one of those ones that we never hear about. Yeah, like I, I want to be a part of like a true crime documentary at some point. <laughs> then they'll play this clip. Yeah. 7.55 this morning, we're moved to green. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you should be in the green this morning, Ger. I mean, you are uh, a triathlete now. You just didn't do. You didn't just do this at triathlon during the summer. You are now a triathlete, and you kept this very quiet. What's going on? Well, you spoiled my bit, Owen. You spoiled my bit. I was going to come back from ads wearing my medal. Oh shit! Well, if you just told me. Well, how, would I, how can I tell you? Then it's not a bit. You're like, oh, it could, that bit where I was like, oh, anyway. Let's just forget that happened. We can't. We can't. Oh, do you have your medal there? It's, it's out there. Yeah, that was my bit. Oh, nice. It is you nice. Put medal. that on. There you go. There you go. But now I just look like a complete dickhead. Now? Thanks. Hey! Finally, the comic time. Finally. Um, tell us about yesterday. What, was it a car triathlon? Uh, yeah, well, you're, you're, you're swimming in the Liffey, which is um, actually not as bad an experience as you might think. But occasionally, you put your hand in slimy and it kind of follows you along. Oh. And you're like, what? what is that? Maybe I won't look down. And the, <laughs> the, the plants are weird. They're kind of like... Um, they kind of billow uh, and they, they glisten and then occasionally there's rubbish there like floating tinfoil and you're like what, what, what is that how do I just stay away from that and also it's very long at one point I did have to roll over and like do the backstroke oh really oh yeah because uh, it's 750 metre swim which I'd never done before but obviously that's 750 metres if you can swim straight okay I see and like, you're getting pushed from side to side well you're just like meandering like a drunk you know uh, I, I don't want to like um, destroy your beautiful image that you painted of the Liffey of hair, but I was I was in town yesterday and I was crossing uh, the Liffey and I saw like there was like a bit of a commotion around by me. There was like three people like pointing into the into the river, and I just took a little glance over and I don't know what they were pointing at, but I just saw a little creature moving and swimming along in the the, the river. I don't know what I was. I was going to have a second look and I was like, is that are, are, are the people of the tourists in Dublin? Are they going to go home and be like, yeah, we saw a rat swimming through the, the river right through the middle of the city. And make them but, feel at home was just for the Americans. Was it? Yeah. Oh, it was an otter. Of course it was. Like the water is so clean that the otters have decided to move in and, and they get the best fish. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. That was it. So, oh God. Yeah, you should get an extra medal for swimming in the Liffey. That's, uh, that's good. 
Um, and you managed to finish it, no problem? Uh, I wouldn't say no problem, Owen. I would okay. say that um, I'm absolutely in bits right now. But I did finish it, uh, which at various stages, because you, you had your drinks on Thursday night, which was not ideal preparation. And then a friend of mine had a gathering on Saturday afternoon, which I attended and probably shouldn't have, but I did. And um, so I would say not, not doing a triathlon with a hangover is um, definitely to be preferred. Uh, but also I had to um, fix a puncture at 7am on Sunday morning. I was in no fit state to be doing that. So... Uh, but yeah, it's a, there's, I, every time we do these, I rave about the community spirit and it is amazing. There are people literally of all age groups, like they're, they do the elite before you. So you get to see these kind of um, super fit humans, some of whom have been at the Commonwealth Games. Right. And some of whom I think might end up going on to represent Ireland in, uh, at the Olympics or certainly will be capable of doing it. So you're seeing them and then you're doing the same track as them. Obviously, they're doing it in like an hour and you're an hour and a half, two hours, <laughs> closer to two, two hours, six minutes. And uh, it's just, it's it's like, and then there's this kind of party afterwards where everybody relaxes and goes, yeah, we did this thing. And then they give you these cool little medals. So I would say, yeah, in the green is the the organisers of the Dublin City Triathlon, the Piranha Tri Club. Ivana Bacic beat me. She started just in front of me and then crushed me on the run. Right. So, um, I don't know if that were, maybe... Maybe she should be beating me by much more. Yeah. Well, c- congratulations to you both. Fair Thank play. you very much. I mean, you're Thank putting you. the, the rest the, of uh, Team OTB to shame, as usual. And the other thousand people who didn't do it. You, you just decided you were, you know, when we were trying to tempt you into this life, you were like, no. Yeah, yeah. Basically, that was it. I was just like, no, nope, not for me. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, it was nice. I, re- I appreciated uh, all the, the invitations. Who's actually in the green? In the green this week is Roy McIlroy. Uh, he obviously uh, fresh off a, a triumph last night. It feels like every Roy McIlroy win, um, even if it's like the FedEx Cup or not, just kind of feels like a, a sort of moment for golf in terms of you know trying to to see if the good guy wins or not. And he kind of alluded to that afterwards as well. His um, kind of talk about how tough it's been over the last little while as a as a PGA Tour golfer and the the, the battle with Liv to try and keep hold of their golfer. So. The win itself was absolutely extraordinary. Like he overturned a six-shot lead yesterday. For anybody who wasn't watching this, he shot a 66 on the final round. Scotty Scheffler was in a commanding position, six strokes ahead going into the final day. He shoots a 73 yesterday. So I guess it's a little bit as as, as much about Scheffler slipping a little bit on the final day as it is about uh, Rory being brilliant. But he was brilliant yesterday, and uh, he's earned his 18 million dollars, which I guess kind of makes up for not winning at St Andrews a little bit. Like he did kind of say that it still gets to him it's it, it's like one of the really difficult things that he's had to, to deal with this season his mini collapse on the, the final day of the Open but um, he's now on three FedEx Cup victories nobody else has got to that number Tiger Woods has got two and Tiger is the only other person to have won the FedEx Cup more than once so it is remarkable uh, this this from Rory it's, it's interesting though that he did say afterwards that he didn't think that he was going to win um on the final day, like when he woke up on Sunday morning, he was in a pressure-free zone, and that obviously probably contributed to him uh, playing his best golf. It's really interesting, isn't it, that that, that is what has happened here. I, so, I don't know if everybody knows, but he had a triple bogey on his first and a bogey on his second hole on when they started on Thursday, which essentially made it a 10-stroke deficit uh, that he had to overcome. Um, it's interesting that he needs to be on a charge, that he needs not to be... Uh, shouldering the burden of expectation on the final round and when he does this it's like really compelling amazing so is there is that that has to be the way he's going to win a major is it another major his next major 
Yeah, but like we've had this conversation so much. How does Rory win his major? Is it like leaves from the front, kills the field, or is it kind of out of nowhere? He kind of comes from behind, and then the person who's in the lead or who's in the clubhouse lead on the Sunday actually, like maybe I don't know, collapses or something like that. So it's it, it seems that we've kind of speculated about how Rory's actually going to win this next major, but. Like I think if you look at his major record this year in terms of his scoring, his scoring has been absolutely exceptional at, at the majors this year. Like the, the, the lowest score of, of any player who's made the cut at all four majors, if you combine his scores. So he's playing, he's played unbelievable golf this season. Like I presume it'll go down as one of his best ever seasons in terms of just the quality of golf he's been playing. But it's unfortunately going to be another season where he doesn't have a major. So this thing will be a millstone around his neck going into next year. And he's going to be one of the most talked about golfers going to Augusta. He's going to be one of the most talked about athletes on the planet, though, really, because of what's happening with Live Golf. So today we expect that um, the latest big name recruits will be named. And uh, there are some big names who are in that. We expect Cameron Smith to um, come out. Joachim Neiman Mm. um, is the other big name that has kind of been confirmed going and so that's two top 20 players in the world and that's the first time we've had young players who have the best years in front of them and who are you know names that we would expect down the, down the road to be competing for the majors and the, you know that's the that's the bloody nose for the PGA but like it's McElroy who's been organising all this it's been McElroy who's been uh, rallying the troops alongside Tiger Woods and like you know Tiger obviously needed somebody of, of McElroy's energy and charisma alongside him to be able to bring people with him. Yeah. So while he's been doing that, he's just beaten all the golfers in the world to the prize they value the most, money. Like, he, he beat them off to win the most money for the year. They were all trying as hard as they possibly could. It's the most elite field possible. It's down to 30. He comes from behind in that and smashes them to win the money. And we know, we know that the golfers like the money. So they were all highly motivated this weekend and he beat them while yeah. at the same time saving golf. That's not bad. It's, yeah. Can maybe, can maybe Roy get some love in Ireland now? <laughs> well, I missed the Irish Open that one time. What? He just saved golf. Um, well, the one thing, like just to, you know, not to be negative about this, but Tiger and Rory, you would have to say their message isn't working. Like they on some level are failing when it comes to trying to persuade the other golfers to stay on the ship. Like with the the Neiman news is, is more significant than than I initially thought. Obviously, he's a phenomenal golfer, but like Neiman would have been part of the players' meeting last week in a room, sitting in a room with Tiger Woods, and Tiger Woods is telling you, "Please stay for for golf." I'm not sure what Tiger said, but like I would have thought that if you at least get people in a room and you're Tiger Woods, you've got a very good chance of keeping them. And maybe Neiman maybe. Has slipped through the net. I think I think his departure is significant. I'd say he'd already made his mind up, though. I think you know the contract offer must have been in. He said he hadn't. Like he was on Golf Channel on Friday saying, "I haven't made my decision yet." Do you know a lot of a lot of them? Like was it was it Brooks who was like, oh, I'm, "I don't know. I, I haven't thought about this." And then you know Monday was like, "Hey, uh, you got me." Uh, a nine a nine figure offer for Joachim Neiman is is what we're told. That is bonkers. So, you know, so it's possible that um, maybe he hadn't made his mind up fully, but certainly the uh, the jury was like dropping the the verdict over to the judge and like the judge is having a little sneaky look on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine figures. I have to think about this one. You know, that's what happens. Yeah. Neiman's looking at McElroy's 18 mil yesterday and being like, that's cute. Well done, Rory. I got it last week. Yeah. 
Yeah, this is um, this is only going one way, really. And uh, like, like there was other reports over the course of the weekend as well. You've got like Mark Leishman, uh, Tringale, and Harold Varner moving as well. Uh, Tringale, I think, has actually confirmed that that he's moving. So uh, Cameron Smith um, and Neiman, the two the two big fish that they're about to catch this week. We fixed it for you, so you could have Arsenal as the the last yeah. green in your last ever Gillette Labs performance rankings. Yeah, like I mean, Celtic and Liverpool fans both being like, "What the hell is going on?" That Arsenal managed to pick them to the post. To be fair, it was Cullum's idea. He just wanted Arsenal to, to be in the green, and you know what? They deserve to be in some shade of green. May not be as green as Liverpool or, or Celtic or teams that managed to score nine goals in a single game, but at some point at around seven p.m. on Saturday afternoon, it looked like Arsenal were going to start arsenaling again. You know, the late news that Thomas Partey and Alexander Zinchenko had been injured in a training session felt quite Arsenal beforehand. The fact that they were on the crest of a wave and then concede and go behind to Fulham felt quite Arsenal. And then all of a sudden, you know, Arsenal came from behind and Gabriel making up for an error. Martin Odegaard showing the, the grit and the reason why he was given the captaincy. All of that stuff felt very un-Arsenal. And it feels, if you want to get ahead of ourselves, like a club that's been somewhat transformed. Like even watching on television, the Emirates looks like Highbury at its peak. And I often wonder that the Emirates just get a bad rap for years just because the Arsenal team that was playing there wasn't very good and I think Arteta kind of made uh, a, 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 like he alluded to this afterwards where he said that somebody told him that it's it's the best mood he's felt uh, at a club since the Highbury era or that the Emirates felt like Highbury on, on Saturday and that's just because the football team is winning and they've got a, a team that they can get behind and they've come from behind to, to win a game and I think that every stadium uh, is rocking when their team is playing well. So their form is excellent. They play Manchester United next Sunday, obviously, after Aston Villa. So that's going to be the first significant challenge you'd have thought of this Arsenal team this season. It is way too early to assume that anything special will happen this season. And the objective is very much the same as it was at the start of the season, which is to, to get top four. But uh, they're looking... There's just an element of grit about how they had to win on Saturday night. But as Richard Keyes said, uh, it's Fulham. Stop celebrating. Stop celebrating, Arsenal fans. Did it's he? Fulham. Did he? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, I'll Fulham, be in sports, yeah. Fulham pretty good, right? Fulham, yeah. Fulham are going to be tricky this season for a lot of teams. They've got a lot of things that you would want to be a team who finishes 12th or 8th, and uh, they're going to take points from better teams than them. And they already have when it comes to Liverpool, for example. So uh, they've, they've definitely proven that they're going to be a, a, a kind of like a pebble in the shoe of a lot of teams this season. But, yeah, no, the, 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 the big takeaway is just kind of that, that post-match atmosphere at the Emirates. And sure, you can, yeah, your angle on it can be, you know, they just won a, a, a league game. That should not be the atmosphere post-game. But my angle on it is look at this place compared to the library atmosphere that would have existed five, six years ago in that place. The other thing is it feels sustainable that there's like, there has been a plan. They have recruited according to the plan. The players who are coming in know that they have certain expectations to meet. They got rid of all of the rotten parts of the change room and there's a clear structure and a clear boss and everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing like I don't know how good he's going to end up being I don't know how maybe the documentary changes things and changes people's perceptions but um, the collection of young talent they have can continue to get better this might not be their peak and they can continue to add players and it looks like they've backed him with massive amounts of money yeah and if they manage to add another piece of the jigsaw before this window is done Obviously, we're only a couple of days away. Then you think that it could be a, quite a special season, like if they managed to to get Yuri Tielemans, for example. You, like it's just that area of the pitch where Arsenal maybe need a, another body or two. And if they can just bolster that midfield just that little bit more, uh, they can definitely have a like a real crack at the Europa League and and at the same time 
properly challenge and get get third or fourth spot in the league. But I think it's I think Arteta was asked about possible title challenge on Saturday, and like rightfully he was like, it's it's way too soon to say they've they've paid no one yet to, to use that phrase. Yeah. All right. Was there an honourable green? We had something in the green until Rory McIlroy overnight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Aviva Stadium was in the green for giving away free pints. Like, I, I wasn't there myself, so I had a massive FOMO. This is Adrian Barry's video. Adrian Barry was uh, told that there was a rugby game on for Leinster. And he there was free cheese. Well, there was free cheese. And, uh, Tell us what this is, though, and explain what this is. But that's, uh, there, were, there was other videos doing the rounds as well of what is known as a snake, a cup snake. Snake cup, a cup snake, where uh, you take your reusable cup and you pop it into another reusable cup and on it goes until it forms a snake. And it had actually reached one point in the Aviva where uh, the snake had managed to go between two tiers of the stadium and there was a massive cheer when the cup from the upper tier managed to go into the cup from the below tier. So this is a high watermark of, uh, of sporting action. Like, I got a push notification off the ESPN app on my phone on Saturday and it was like, pints galore in Dublin, free bar and all that. And like, this is the, this is perfect international marketing for the city of Dublin. I mean, this is just such a big win for, for everybody involved. That's the thing. You can imagine that there is somebody somewhere with their head in their hands going, oh my God, this is a disaster. And then afterwards, everybody's like, uh, well, we're definitely coming back next year. Yeah, the publicity was was not a bad thing. The game was pretty extraordinary. Like uh, when I was out and about on Saturday evening, <laughs> got chatting to a few Nebraska fans who were absolutely fuming with how things went for them uh, when they were up. What was the? It was twenty eight seventeen midway through the third quarter on Saturday night, and uh, their coach. Uh, Scott Frost uh, uh, called for an onside kick despite the fact that they were leading uh, by 11 points. It went badly wrong. Um, Northwestern easily recovered the kick at the Nebraska 44 line and scored five plays later and they turned it over to beat them 31-28. So there's a lot of people who came here and after week zero, it's kind of like Aston Villa at the moment, they're already like head coach, he's got to go. They're not happy with how that thing turned out at all. Yeah, people blaming. I uh, saw one tweet. It was like, ah, uh, well, you know, the uh, Northwestern head coach uh, is Pat Fitzgerald, and he's Irish, and uh, the Irish officials were always going to to work in his favour. So there's uh, perfect levels of uh, of sour grapes out there. It was uh, an absolutely massive success, I think, all told. Uh, next year is Notre Dame Navy, and then we we'll see what what happens after that. But it's going to be firmly established. And here's the thing: there's not much other sport on uh, big time filling stadiums that everybody's going to be able to go to in uh, August next year so they have they have the pitch emptied for whatever reason uh, right that's this week's Gillette Labs performance rankings OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette now a reminder Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB every week we're giving one lucky viewer a 100 euro voucher to spend on some Braeburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you to enter check out at Off The Ball on Twitter like and retweet our Braeburn competition post and you'll be in the draw Braeburn Coffee never compromises on quality or taste to give you the best on the go coffee experience on the road it's available at Apple Green today after the break we're going to be joined in the line by Liverpool and Ireland legend Mark Lawrenson to reflect on a record equaling weekend for Jurgen Klopp's side OTB it's quarter past eight this morning. You're very welcome along. If you've just joined us, we're turning our attention to football. I'm delighted to say Mark Lawrenson is with us. Mark, good morning to you. How are you getting on? I'm all good, thank you. You? Yeah, good, good. Um, that uh, Liverpool performance, <laughs> we hadn't seen any real signs of it up to this point. Um, and how, how important is it just that they got their season up and running effectively? Well, I think the most important thing is that, is that we win. That was the first thing. Um, I mean, Bournemouth were, were abject at best, but 
It obviously gives you a feel feel good factor throughout the throughout the club because of the way the results went, etc. But just just to win was the most important, and to get back into a, into that kind of pressing mould, which they haven't really done in in the first three games prior to it. How how as a a group um, do you make sure that the energy and I guess what I'm wondering is, can you take that performance and use it as a springboard for the rest of the season? Like, because you know the game's over. No, you know, no. I'd, I'd say I said no to that because because you know it was it was only Bournemouth. Um, but it's just it's it. I think just the fact that they've won the game was, is the most important thing. And it's like anything, you know, in the, in the three previous games, they. It was sluggish, I think, in all three. I think he's probably one of the, the, the best ways to describe it. And I just, I just wonder. I was, I was at the um, Crystal Palace game, and they have, they haven't had that long of a, of a, an off season. And the way the club trains in pre-season, uh, because of all this pressing, etc., is, is apparently it's, it's a nightmare for the players. It's really, really, really hard work. And I'm just wondering. Just wondering because they didn't have that much of a, of a layoff. Whether that's why they've got all these injuries, that, and these injuries aren't from tackles or anything like that. They're just strains. And I'm just wondering, maybe a little bit. I mean, I'm sure the sports science guys at the club will have something to say about it. But I'm just wondering whether they, they've done a little bit too much pre-season, if that's possible. In that instance, at least you would hope that some of those players will start to come back, and yeah. they've banked the work and the. They'll be able to get back to the level of performance and energy in a couple of weeks' time. So it, it's nothing terminal. It's just a, a, um, a periodization error. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It, it is, and it's just um, you know, it's just just the fact that they've, they've done a little bit too much, and obviously the body's trying to tell them to slow down a little bit. So um, obviously the introduction, the introduction at the weekend of one or two of the younger players. Well, that that was all good. So hopefully now they do, you know they're they've got the foot on the gas and off they go. Like obviously there's a couple of days until the transfer market closes, and when they had their centre back crisis during the the lockdown season, they signed a, a couple of makeshift centre backs just to, to, as a, as a stopgap. Is the midfield uh, lack of depth at the moment due to injuries? Is, is would that require a same level of surgery over these next couple of days? Do you reckon, Mark? Yeah, I think it's possible. I think he's. I think Klopp said the other day that seriously being seriously looking and, and being active. Um, and of course, you get all sorts of names that all, all of a sudden come out from all sorts of different places. But I, I think they want to try and get another body in, most definitely. As to who, I, I've no idea. And um, you know, the problem with Thiago is who's the best midfield player that they've got is that he, he, he does get lots of injuries. And without him, him in the team, they're just not the same force. Because you know, you, you know, you know my love for him. I just think he's brilliant, and he sees things in games that other players just do not see. So, um, yeah, I think they're definitely trying actively to get someone in. As to who it is, I have no idea. Well, nobody's got any, an idea to be honest with you. It, it must be of like a serious encouragement that without Thiago, they managed to create enough opportunities to score nine goals in a single game. Mm. Like, did you see? Better creativity from the, the midfield in particular, Mark, on on Saturday, or or do the the attackers get most of the credit? I, th- I think the attackers got mo- get most of the credit because in the first three games, if you look at them going forward, they've not really created that many chances, um, and you know that basically comes from midfield, but it also comes from the fullbacks. I think that's that's the other point that that people have been missing in the first three games that 
you know, with obviously Fulham, Crystal Palace and, and Manchester United, that they played with wide players to stop the two fullbacks getting forward. And it just it just shows you, you know, when you do that to Liverpool, the amount of um, chances are created are so much lower because generally those the two the two fullbacks have got the freedom to just go and play and join in as they're like the wide players almost as wide midfield players. But uh, clubs have now and teams have, have started looking at them seriously and think, well, that you know, if we get there and play with wing backs themselves or wide midfield players, um, it's been a, it's it's been a problem for Liverpool. So um, it remains to be seen what happens going forward. It, this is going to be the most intense season, I think, potentially ever, given the way the World Cup comes in the middle of it and how long it's going to soak up in terms of the available fixtures. So it's uh, Newcastle midweek, Everton mm. weekend, then Napoli, and then Wolves over the next um, 11 days or so, maybe 12 yeah. days. Uh, you know, it's mad, isn't it? Well, it, there's, no, mad. there's no room for mistakes now either, just with the slow no. starts and the way City are going. No, you just, you just, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, people are already saying oh, there's no way Liverpool can win the league, but obviously they nearly caught them last year. But it's just, it is win-win. And it's, you know, I mean, obviously results are always far more important than performances. But, uh, you know, they've had, obviously, with the increased performance at the weekend, hopefully, hopefully that, that will be the norm for them. And, and I think within the next couple of weeks as well, that, you know, quite a few of the players that, that have been missing will be back. But, not Thiago, so hence obviously trying to buy somebody else. I think. Um, is there maybe maybe we we uh, with with the way that City have started, right? There's kind of this mm. assumption that they're just going to keep winning and and not drop yeah. many points. But maybe even their squad will be tested by the two games a week, one of which is the Champions League, yeah. and now everybody understanding. Okay, we've we've got a little bit of tape on City and a little bit of. Uh, opportunity to see that there are some weaknesses there. You can score against them at least. Yeah, you can score against them. And what what happens if the De Bruyne fella falls over for a couple of, a couple of months? Um, which obviously you never wish injuries on anybody, but he, he's very much the key to, to that football team and the football club. So yeah, I mean, listen, we're, what are we? We're only four games in, and you know, teams who've started while well, all the supporters getting a bit carried away. Teams who've obviously had a poor start, it's like, oh, we're going to be relegated. And, and look at look at Aston Villa and Steven Gerrard. He got booed off at the weekend. So um, I think we, we, we live in a world where, you know, you're judged by the last game. Um, you know, people don't look at, you know, like a five fixtures together or anything like that and the difficulty of the teams that you play against. It's just that game. And you know what it's like. If, you, if, you, if you're a Premier League manager... And you lose at the weekend, you're hopeless. And if you win, you're a genius. So somewhere in the middle probably is where we are. It is a difficult, you bring up CVG there, it is a difficult period for him at the moment where the end of last season wasn't great and the start of this season hasn't been great. Um, and his next few fixtures also not great. It's Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, and then, them. and then City and then Brendan Rodgers and Leicester. Um, what, what's going wrong for Steven Gerrard, do you think? You know what? I, I really don't honestly know because um, I spoke to Gary McAllister right at the end of last season, and I said, you know, would you be doing much business in the transfer transfer in the you know pre-season kind of thing? He said, yeah. He said, but one of the problems is we need to get a few out as well. But he's certainly, you know, he's brought enough players and brought them in. I don't. I saw them against Everton, um, and they played with the two up front, um, and obviously they beat Everton. 
I don't know what it is about them. Def- I'm not convinced about them um, defensively. Obviously, they, they left Mings out uh, at one stage, and then the next time he was back in, he, I think the next game. And I don't know. It's almost like they're looking at. They were looking at him, thinking, "Well, is he the problem?" And then all of a sudden, he's picked to play in the next game. So it was suggested to me that whoever came in for him, they didn't think was as good as as Mings himself. So. I think the other thing as well, they just just look at them defensively, and I think you can get at them, um, and and that's a worry. And if you're playing with two up front, which is very few teams do so, then you're getting a little bit outnumbered in midfield, and I think maybe that might be one of the issues. It, it, with the way that the Premier League is at the moment, he doesn't really have a long time. You know, the, the stats doing the rounds about Gary Neville's time at Valencia, that comparison has now made it all the way to... <laughs> Talk yeah. sports like it, it. The chatter becomes almost unstoppable at some point. Yeah, but but the chief exec um, was at Liverpool, wasn't he? Christian Perslow. Stephen. Yeah, yeah. Christian Perslow. Um, he was at Liverpool with Stephen, so I think I think that makes it a little bit easier. And are they? Am I right in thinking that the are they still owned by? Chinese by the Chinese, Aston Villa, is that right? Two Americans, two, two. Oh, two Americans. Yeah. Two. Okay. We should, but you never, you never hear, you never hear of them. Well, they are. I mean, Dodo, he doesn't even know that the two Americans own them. So it would suggest to me that you know they're like very much listen to what Christian Perslow has to say. So I think from Stephen's point of view, that's that's a that's a definite bonus, certainly. Okay. Um. Uh. The other uh, former Liverpool manager, Brendan Rodgers. He- their start of the season has been completely overshadowed by the fact that they haven't signed anybody. They're again the, mm. start to the only team in in the Western civilization who hasn't signed anybody at this point. Yeah, um, and it looks like Fafana is going to go again at the very last minute, so they'll have to struggle to get somebody in to replace him. And it looks like Tielemans might go. He's he's certainly available, and his contract is running down. And there's still chatter yeah. around James Madison too. Under those circumstances, it's very difficult for him to get the changing room together and say, come on, let's, let's do this. We're all in this together because at the moment they're not. Well, well, the other thing is, as well, players, players are, are, you know, very, they look at it and think, you know, hold on, we're selling all our best players. What's happening? I mean, they, you know, when, when, when you look at them, they've obviously, they've got this unbelievable training ground with a golf course, which has cost them, I don't know, 80, 90 million or whatever. So it's all of a sudden we don't hear from the owner, hear absolutely nothing, and then they're selling all the better players, and you're kind of thinking, you know, what on earth has gone on and what's happened? That, in fairness to, to Brendan Rodgers, is you know after every game he, he stands up and obviously has his say and everything, but I think I think underneath he must be absolutely seething because all his all his best players are going and he can't buy anyone, so. You know, because we don't actually know the internal workings of, of Leicester City, we're all sort of saying, well, do they need money? You know, um, do they, is it the case of the owners are thinking, well, yeah, we, we, we've had it great, we won the league, etc. but, you know, it's costing us so much money, we don't really want to be involved with it, we need to cut our losses. And that's that's the only way you can look at it because, you know, Yes, you can sell players. Obviously, you know even the very top clubs lose lose top players. So, unless they're obviously lost and are losing and are about to lose some top players, but you know, you know you still got to get people in. Otherwise, you're only you're not going you're not going north, are you? You're going south. Um, so it's a real tough period for him. And and in, and in fairness, I wouldn't I would never have been the biggest Brendan Rodgers fan to be honest with you. But I actually feel loads of sympathy for him because 
he's trying to manage with his hands tied behind his back. I think a lot of people are probably in the same boat that uh, there's a grudging admiration for the job that he's done at Leicester under the circumstances. Yeah, no, he's done a good job. And there's, there's no argument about that whatsoever. But all of a sudden, how can he do a good job when they're taking his best players away from him? And I mean, I, I wouldn't mind betting they've had one or two phone calls coming in to, to, to take, obviously, you know, the, the best player, the goal scorer, because, you know, loads of teams would love to take him regardless of, of the ace that he's at. Um, and that would be the end for Leicester, to be honest with you. Like it does feel it's that sort of structure around the club and in terms of not being able to sign players, which is going to insulate Brendan Rodgers somewhat from uh, Leicester's poor season, which is probably imminent at this point. Mm. Do you think he really regrets now not maybe taking a, a bigger job last year if there was one on the table? I'm, I'm not sure that, that uh, Chelsea or Manchester United, if, if those links were, were ever really close to happening, but it did feel that no. if, there, if there was ever an offer that uh, Rodgers felt he was probably in, in a good project at Leicester and may have stayed anyway. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't, I don't think he had any chance of going to the, the the two clubs that you mentioned most definitely. But the great thing for him was that you know he was in total control at Leicester in terms of of the playing side, absolutely everything about it, and was probably you know in the off season with just says probably looking at all sorts of players to to to, to bolster and, and boost the squad, probably defensively as much as anything, and it's. You know they let they let Michael go. I know he. I think he had a year left on his on his contract and everything. But that's that's a strange one because he he you know alongside Vardy, he was arguably one of their best players, if not the best player. So you're weakening the team straight away, and all of all with losing all the players, especially by the time the window finishes, you, you seriously weaken the team. Um, where he's been fortunate, I think, is that you know that. The locals or the regular punters who go on to watch Leicester are saying, well, he's got his hands tied behind his back, so so what on earth can he do? One last question for you. David Moyes obviously um, had a tricky start to the season and they're they're very active in the transfer window now over the last 24 hours or so. It looks like they're going to spend £50 million on a player. After the mm-hmm. game against Villa, Declan Rice was just saying pure relief at this point, we understand that this team is better, that the expectations are much higher. So, uh, like that, he needed a win and they need to kind of use the win against Villa to bounce into the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't, you know, um, I exchanged text with him the other day, but he was, he's, you know, he, he, he wasn't actually worried insofar as, you know, we'd have lost a couple of games. He, he was just saying, look, you know, we're getting so many players in and so many bodies, which is what he asked um, the two owners to do, and they've done that for him. And I would expect them to kick on now. And and by the time he gets everybody in, um, I think they'll you know definitely be be challenging for top six. So as I say, it's like anything you, you don't win a game in, in three games, and and you're you're an absolute you know, b- buffoon for want of a better description. But he, he's not particularly bothered about that because he's now got everybody that he wants at the club. Um, you know, all singing off the same hymn sheet, Lardy Lara, all those kind of stuffs as well. And, and, he, and you know, um, whenever I speak to him, he just always says to me, he said, the owners are great with them, absolutely great with them. He said, they're dead straight um, and they want top players, etc. Um, and they know they know what they want to do. And I mean, also as well, I think, I think eventually, and this is only my thoughts, I think um, they'll, they'll look to sell the two owners. Um and who, know, who knows who will come in. You might get another billionaire, another American billionaire coming in. So happy days. Yeah.
definitely interesting times around that place and the, the value mm. of the stadium and getting that stadium full week in, week out is... Um, well, yeah, help. and, and that, that deal that they did for the stadium, when you look at it now, was absolutely brilliant. Um, you know, and everybody criticised it. Uh, but they, 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 did, they did... I think that was Cameron Brady who sort of got that over the line. And that, that was a great piece of business for West Ham. Yeah. It has certainly set them up to um, keep their best players, mm. for sure. Mm. Mark, great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Cheers. No worries. Thank you. It's uh, Mark Lawrence giving us our, his thoughts this morning at 8.32. We've um, we've had uh, tributes from uh, Kerry. We've had tributes from Mayo. We've had... Uh, we didn't have any dubs, did we? We, we did, you know, not a tool to dub, but he's not. No, no Dublin Gaelic footballers. It's funny. He obviously tormented them enough over the years by... Whatever it was you did. But now we're going to go global. That's, that's who have we got? Who have we got? Hey, Owen. Uh, Justin Marshall here. Hey, look, mate, uh, I understand that you are taking a little bit of a sabbatical uh, and you are heading to South America for some travel and some God knows what else. Should be fun, though. Uh, <laughs> so a little bit of a hiatus away from Ireland. Uh, no doubt it'll be good fun. Uh, make sure that um, whatever you do, mate, you drink shitloads of Coronas. I believe that that's the, the beer of choice in that part of the world. Uh, I know it from experience, to be perfectly honest. So, yeah, get stuck into those. Um, it'll be a bit of a gravitation away from Guinness. But if anything, it might do your waistline a bit of good. Who knows? But, mate, have a good time. Um, enjoy. Nothing better than travelling. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in Ireland at some stage in the future. All the best, mate. Cheers. Hi Owen, it's Jason McAteer, I hope you're well. Um, I'm just currently in a cave with lots of water and a lifeguard there um, in Qatar. I believe you're leaving off the ball, which is a sad loss. Um, obviously the whole thing will go to shit now, which is obviously good for you. Uh, I believe you're going on a tour around South America, which I think is Mexico, Colombia, Ecuador, Argentina. So, um, uh, stay off the marching powder, mate. I believe it's rife over there. Um, but yeah, have a good time. Try and find a good pint of Guinness. Come back in one piece. I'm sure they'll have you back. Uh, they'll be begging for you to come back. So that's a good thing. Uh, take care, mate. I hope it all goes well. Slancher, good luck. And get out that garden. Don't know who he is. Don't know, don't know who he is. Amazing. There you go. Got to get uh, Justin Marshall's take on Foster in or out, though. I think uh, it's like, hey, we got to get you on the big news this week, the big departure news. And he's like, sure, mate, what time? Yeah, no, everybody said yes. 8.34, time for us to turn our attention to uh, the ongoing situation at Manchester United, which has upticked significantly. Andy Mitten, good morning to you. How are you? Morning. Okay, thank you. We've we've had some of these phone calls uh, over the last five or six years where there's just been a pall of depression, like a little black cloud following you behind kind of... Uh, comic book style it's beginning to dissipate we're not saying it's gone but certainly uh, the mood has changed significantly well football is a results business and Manchester United have had two positive results uh, in the space of five days beating Liverpool and and Southampton so yeah compared with uh, one week ago when I don't think many Manchester United fans thought to get a result against Liverpool not a draw let alone a win uh, think things are much brighter. The win at Southampton was the first away win since February after seven straight defeats, and it was the first clean sheet since Norwich away uh, last December. So yeah, pretty sig- pretty significant. It is significant, right? It's not just uh, a little flash in the pan where he's put together some 
uh, some results. He, he's made significant structural changes and he's dropped players who hadn't been dropped up to this point and the team have responded. I think that's why Manchester United fans are feeling a little bit of confidence about what the future holds, if not certainty at least. Yeah, I think that's fair. He's made the big calls and he's been vindicated by them. Uh, he dropped the captain, Harry Maguire. Um, Luke Shaw has been replaced by Terrell Malassia at, at left-back, who's done very well. Uh, Rafael Varane has come in and also done very well. Cristiano Ronaldo has not been starting either. We've seen Casemiro wearing a Manchester United shirt. Uh, United fans are encouraged by the imminent signing of Anthony as well from Ajax for, for a huge fee. So all of these things uh, affect the mood in, in, a, in a positive way. And I think Ten Hag is coming out of this better than anybody. I think he he is quite an impressive character. He speaks his mind, he calls people out, and he's got courage in his convictions. And he was a successful coach at Ajax, and he thinks he will be at Manchester United. He keeps saying this will take time. And I absolutely think it will do. There's a, a, an away game at Leicester on Thursday. Arsenal at the weekend. Arsenal are obviously flying. So there's going to be loads and loads of bumps. It's not just going to be click fingers. OK, Manchester United are great again now. But, but two wins have definitely lifted the mood. What's your read on Anthony, Andy? Because it feels as if there's a, a general, uh, there's just no uh, conclusiveness around the analysis about how he's going to, to work for Manchester United. People saying, you don't look at the stats, he's a fantastic player. And other people saying, well, his stats are underwhelming for a £100 million player. So what do you think the truth is going to be? Well, his stats are underwhelming for a player who's, who's that much. But he, he doesn't set his price. It's a player who the manager wants and who the manager has wanted the club to push for, which is good because the manager is in charge of the team and it could be bad if it doesn't work out with the manager. And that's why clubs have sporting directors um, to negate uh, one manager overloading the team with his own players in. If Manchester United are winning and playing well, it will be great. This player is absolutely fantastic. And if they're not and he's not, it will be uh, the, the jump is too big from, from the Dutch top flight to, to the English top flight. Um, I, I've, I've probably seen him live three times. Um, so I've been speaking to people who, who watch him professionally, scouts, analysts, that type of stuff. And I get a sense of uh, a very talented player, one who, who will bring fans out of their seat, but also raised eyebrows about, about the huge fee. And as you said about his stats, uh, he's been a forward in a team that have won league a couple of times and, I don't think he's got out of double, double figures. So his stats are not are not off the scale. I think United fans will be pleased that he signs. They'll absolutely get behind him. They'll encourage him. And I hope I hope he does well. His, his age fits the idealised version that Manchester United have of the, um, of the team going forward. And that's not always been possible in bringing in Casemiro, who's 30, for example. So, yeah, I, I think the signing will be greeted um, warmly. How does that attack then look in a couple of weeks when he settled in? Who starts? Anthony, Anthony and Anthony. Um, that will be the front three for Manchester United uh, with Martial, Alanga and Anthony. I've laughed or socked off if that actually happened. Um, I still think Manchester United might bring another striker in um, because it's looked short. I wouldn't be stunned if Cristiano Ronaldo left it this week. Um, I know he wants to leave. So we'll see what happens there in the last few days of, of the transfer window. 
I'll be glad when the transfer window shut. It, it drives me crazy. It, it, it does irrational things to otherwise sensible humans. So that closes at, um, on Thursday and fans can concentrate on watching the football. And there's a lot of football ahead of the World Cup. Uh, I would say um, Sancho probably going to start. Needs to be needs to play better in more matches. Anthony Martial's got these niggling injuries. He's got to get over them. Uh, Marcus Rashford was good against Liverpool in a central role, um, peripheral against Southampton. So what it does do is it creates competition for places which any manager wants. If you're playing well, you're going to be starting. I would have been doubtful about seeing Anthony Alanga a few weeks ago. I know other clubs were looking at him, trying to take him on loan. But Eric Ten Hag likes him. So it's for him to work out. I know that United wanted a more physical striker. Uh, that's why they'd looked at... Uh, Arnautovic, not that he was ever going to be a starter, then backed off from that. So uh, I, I wouldn't be stunned if a, if a, a number nine come, came in. And I, I watched like, Robert Lewandowski last night uh, live, and I could see why any team would want a classical number nine, but they're hard to get. Like who who would be in the mix for that potential role as United's new nine? Like is is Aubameyang in the mix? Like I'm trying to think of, of nines that are possibly available. Yeah, it's a good question and it's a tough question because there are not many. Um, Aubameyang, the situation with him is uh, the links are coming from his side rather than Manchester United's side. Manchester United will be asked to be kept abreast of any development side. There's a huge difference between that and actively being interested in, in a player. So that's the situation with Aubameyang at the moment. From my sources on the Barcelona side, um, they will say... We will sell him, but only for a lot of money. If you're Aubameyang, you're basically not starting, like Frankie de Jong, because um, Robert Lewandowski is starting ahead of him. And Pedri Gavi, Sergio Busquets is starting ahead of Frankie de Jong as well. So that's why I think we'll see quite a lot of activity in the transfer market in the last couple of days. Manchester United really need to move some players on and get them off the wage bill, but that's also very difficult. If if Anthony gets finally all through, that'll be five first teamers essentially that Manchester United have signed in this transfer window, which is a remarkable level of surgery done in one window. And you know, I know everybody was saying this is going to take years, but actually, if they can continue that level of activity by the end of this season, we will know exactly who Eric Ten Hag wants, what the prototype of that player is, and their expectation when they join will have been set by the culture set by those new players. So. It has been a remarkable window, and it's not over yet. And it's not over yet. Uh, United spent, uh, will have spent, if Anthony comes in, £200 million. Pounds, so it's a huge amount. And I, I think that Cristiano Ronaldo's wages, I struggle to see how they will fit in, in with the wage structure now. And as I said, United have got to move players on. There'll be players this week looking at the situation, thinking, I've got a contract here, but I'm not going to be playing football. I'm not going to be starting. So we could see a few surprises there. Five players, maybe six players. It's a huge, huge transfer window. The biggest that I can remember, uh, Alex Ferguson in 89, bringing in five players for huge fees and getting criticised for it, especially when the team started the season poorly. But almost all of those players were were, were good signings. So... I think there's a demand from some fans to sign more, 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 more players. It's ridiculous. You know, United could sign Anthony today and Robert Lewandowski tomorrow and you'll still find some fans going, we need more, we need more, 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 more. And 
there's this insatiable demand from transfer junkies to bring more players in. But there's got to be a balanced squad as well because players who are not playing are going to be annoyed. Um, the problem Manchester United have got, which is a club's problem, not the players' problem, is that some of them earn too much. So other clubs are reluctant to take them the players off. So United end up having to subsidise the wages of players they let go on loan. And if them subsidies are too much, Manchester United feel that the club who've taken them are not so inclined to play the players, which is what they want to increase the value. So this is a conundrum from a club who are not top of the transfer tree. You look at the opposite of that and you see Real Madrid basically selling players from a position of strength. I get the sense that maybe you're Twitter mentions during the transfer market isn't a, a wholly <laughs> positive experience, Andy. No, it's not. It's not. Um, I said yesterday, um, Manchester United can now field a team of Spanish and Portuguese players. And I tweeted that um, because I think it's interesting. No, I'm in a house of Portuguese speakers. My wife speaks Portuguese. Uh, she's Brazilian. My children speak Portuguese. And I think it's interesting. And I got a load of abuse for being xenophobic. I thought, this is ridiculous. You clearly don't know me, where I spend most of my time traveling around the world, who I write the books with. How on earth can you see something like that and see a negative into it? I I see it as um, interesting. Apart from being a fan, being a journalist as well, because I get to interview people like Casimiro because he can't speak English. But as I said earlier, the transfer market does mad things to otherwise sensible humans. It absolutely warps people's minds. I get the demand for new players. Uh, I always loved uh, buying the back of the Manchester Evening News, seeing that Manchester United have signed signed a, a new player. But I sense there are some people who would rather Manchester United actually stop playing matches and just concentrate on buying footballers. Some of them never actually mention the football or the football games. It's all about players, players, players. And yeah, Twitter is a, an absolute cesspit for a journalist at this time of the year. Can I ask you a question about two players that um, are, are interesting at the moment? Uh, it, the, the right back and Scott McTominay. So uh, Dallow is somebody that I think probably suffered from, um, for whatever reason, Manchester United fans didn't particularly rate him very highly. But he's played well over the last couple of games. And uh, McTominay has also played well. Like That's the whole point of getting a coach who has a plan and gives people instructions and gives them confidence within those instructions that you don't actually have to sign new players for every position. You can if you want, but there's definitely some players who are going to be part of Manchester United's future under Ten Hag. Do those two have the best chance at the moment? I think what you said is fair comment. Um, Delo has had two good games and bringing in another right-back is improbable. Is defensively, he's not the best right back in the world. He's probably not at the level of the the fullbacks at Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City. But he's had a good couple of weeks, and I thought he defended well on Saturday. And it was a clean sheet. Uh, I thought McTominay played well against Liverpool. I thought he did did well against Southampton. And, and tactically, um, he would drop back and give Manchester United more cover when Southampton were attacking. Uh, I gave him a 7 out of 10. I got slaughtered for giving him 7 out of 10. English bias. What? Where on earth are these viewpoints coming from? Um, Scott McTominay, technically, is not the most gifted midfielder in the world. He doesn't need to be. He doesn't need to start every week for Manchester United. He can add to a squad. He can play. He played well against Liverpool at Old Trafford. He can clearly play football. But I think it's fair to say Manchester United's midfield did need strengthening. And Casimiro had a little cameo when he came on. 
Casemiro is one of the best players in the world in that position. But successful football teams are not just about the starting eleven; It's about a squad. You need a squad. And I would firmly see a future for Scott McTominay. He brings a lot of positive attributes. Um, just maybe not the over-reliance on him and Fred that we've seen in recent seasons. And at times that's worked and other times it hasn't. And if you're going to be successful, it needs to work almost all the time. Yeah, that's the, the the benefit of having a good quality coach who knows exactly what they're doing. And we're going to see that with other players. The Ilanga thing is, is very interesting as well. That's the force multiplier that these wins actually give him the confidence and the, he runs the dressing room because it, uh, it's, it's noticeable that there's been no leaks from the dressing room about how they don't like the style of play anymore. There'll always be leaks coming from the dressing room. Always, 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 because humans speak and journalists would be out of jobs if you didn't get inside information. But the, the leaks which come when the team are winning are completely different. Uh, United lost a couple of players, moved a couple of players on, who were responsible for some negative leaks, ones which undermined um, the status of the, of the managers. And when the team are winning, you get much more more positive news seeping out of, of, of the dressing room. Um, I thought the attack was actually quite poor at, at Southampton, but it's a work in progress. It really is. Um, that 1-0 win was really encouraging. Focus and praise on the defence, which I think was right to do. Uh, I should mention Varane. He's one of the best defenders in the world, but we didn't see it last year at United. And I interviewed him in May, and it was all a bit... Yeah, yeah. And we published the interview, almost no reaction because he'd underwhelmed. And he's been fantastic against Liverpool and and played really well against um, Southampton at the weekend. So a lot of them players have still got to raise raise their games. Um, Leicester is a, is a good test. I know they've started badly, but they put four past United in the equivalent fixture last year. And then Arsenal at Old Trafford, Manchester United can take points off Arsenal that will be really really significant because even though United beat Liverpool Liverpool actually were the more dominant team so that says two things to me one if United can win a match despite not being dominant by taking the chances uh, which they did that's definitely an encouraging thing and it takes me a little bit back to Solskjaer's uh, best moments when his team didn't have possession but would get some important victories uh, Ten Hag wants to play it with a dominant style of football, which naturally means the team has more possession. And that will come in time. We're four games into Ten Hag's time at Manchester United. Again, there's going to be so many bumps along the way. But those two wins have, have lifted the mood. Andy, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. Thank you. It's Andy Mitten, uh, editor of United We Stand. You can read stuff in The Athletic and uh, various places as well. At 8.50 this morning, obviously, the um, Premier League is back. We've teamed up with one of Europe's largest sports events, ticketing and hospitality companies, Champions Travel, to give you the opportunity to win a €250 Champions Travel voucher each day this week. These can be used on Premier League match trips as well as a host of other sporting events. Daily winners will also be entered into our grand prize draw where one lucky winner will win a trip from a selection of Premier League games with flights and two nights accommodation included. To enter, all you have to do is tell us who this mystery voice is. There's a lot of eyes on them, there's a lot of pressure on them. They have to fill the jersey and like I said, it's not a sleeping joint, it's a joint. You can tweet us your guests on our main Twitter account, at Off The Ball. Now, we had an had a excellent moment this week where... Um, Anyway, let's just play this one, right? I was going to... We can talk off the back of it. Who's this? Ah, 
Okay, sorry about that. What, what, what was this, I wonder? Uh, a few comments for you coming in. The Carver Man says, A few wins and all the dummies saying Glazers out will have forgotten everything. Football fans should be treated as revenue-generating entities and nothing else. <laughs> I did see um, some Liverpool fans on Twitter last night saying, Oh, the Norwich, the Norwich uh, scars will be gone now, won't they? Um, uh, I think there was a pretty uh, strong anti-Glazer contingent in Southampton on Saturday, wasn't there? Um yeah, there always is. But the, 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 this always happens. The the uh, protests reach a certain crescendo, and then massive signings come in. And previously, the massive signings just haven't worked out because they didn't look like there was a plan. They've invested a lot in the football brainpower of Eric Ten Hag. He seems to be the one who's deciding on these players, and you know they all do have certain characteristics, as in he's played against them or they played for him. So um, if he's wrong about the quality of those players, it's a huge investment to make. Mm. There's a lot of eggs in the Anthony basket, is what I'll say. Uh, Mua123 says, Gerrard's Aston Villa, they're supposed to be rubbish. It may not be Stephen Gerrard's fault. Do we have to get a rant every Monday morning? Yes, we do. Uh, okay, I didn't think there was a rant. Uh, Kira Hudson says, James O'Donoghue should be in the green, and is Owen actually going to leave? I know. James O'Donoghue, I only, I only saw this, Tommy posted it. Yeah, his uh, sideline point for... Legion yesterday in the, the club championship. In Did they Curry. win? I, don't I know. actually don't know the result of that game. Right. Oh, I, I, I've been caught completely there. Um, Sorry about that. Uh, Tommy's given out about the. Um, so he's got, he's got number 11 on his back. That's interesting. He's becoming gooch uh, late days. Never mind the shorts pulled up his arse or the fact that the linesman forgot it was a sideline and then he kicks the sideline from basically the corner flag. It's, um, it's not bad. Win. They did, win, they did yeah. win. There you go. They won comfortably in the end, so it wasn't um, it wasn't pointless. No, it wasn't. Um, but yeah, people saying you know he was he stepped over the line and all that. If you're a sideline official and you see somebody step over the line and then put it between the posts, like ah, too good, too good. Yeah, uh, right. One last one for today. <laughs> Hi, I'm Martin Lipton. Um, I hear you're off on a great adventure to South America. Best of luck for that. I'm sure it'll be a fantastic time. It's been great dealing with you over over the months and years, uh, and I hope when you come back we can do it all over again. But in the meantime, just have a blast. Really, really enjoy yourself. And remember, if you're really short of an opinion about Spurs, I'm only ever a phone call away. Best of luck. Really hope you have a fantastic time. Take care. No, no reference to there a you go. Fulsberg, he's, he's not very nice. I mean, he's very nice not he, to bring it up. He could have, he could have kicked me and uh, brought it back up, but uh, but he didn't do that. He did know about it, obviously, as well, because we, I think we sent him the clip helpfully just to remind him. Hey, did you, oh, yeah. you remember this? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How uncomfortable are you now, Owen? Uh, quite. I'm just, I'm just. There's like like a knowing glance or something into the glass here. Like I kind of, I should, I shouldn't have mentioned that moment until. Like tomorrow, because if you've found a clip to send it to Martin Lipton, I mean, you've obviously found a clip to play it on the show. Uh, well, we wouldn't do that. Oh. That'd be a bit cruel, wouldn't it? Because, well, I've already, I've already, you know. I don't think we have it, found the clip, have we? Have we found the clip of Wolfsburg and Wolfsburger? Oh, the yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, it's a thumbs up from the box. So now what they're going to do is they're going to embarrass me. And this is where I take my ear, phone out of my ear and just let the lads laugh. And you, you walk out. Yeah, it's just deeply funny. What, what would we have to do tomorrow to get you to walk out, like storm off in a, I can't believe he did this to me on my last day. Um, 
there's a lot, a lot of things. Like, give I'm obviously not, some going, ideas. I'm not, I'm not going to say those things. Give us some ideas. Like, I'm, I embarrass very easily. So there's a whole host of different things that you could do, which would uh, push, me, push me. Have you seen the, the, um, the meme that somebody has of like, Brian O'Driscoll's gone away, except they've cut your face and put his in? I actually haven't seen have that. Have you no. not? Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> like in a big inflatable jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With the head. <laughs> superimposed on it. That was um, an absolute masterpiece. Like, why? Like, what was that? Where is that now? Do, the do the floating head? Yeah, the floating Brian O'Driscoll thing. Well, we, should, we should dig it out. Um, we could reunite them. That'll be good. Good quality content. 8.55 this morning, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Morning, lads. My second last day tuning into the show. No Owen, no party, says MJW. Well, Carl Milani's going to be here. He's here. He's here now. Carl, how are you? <laughs> Very well. Very well. There you go. You're going to have to poor replacement. Yeah, poor replacement. <laughs> um, so the golf. We haven't probably done enough on on Roy McIlroy and his unbelievable achievement uh, in yeah. in really coming from ten strokes back. Yeah. After his second hole on Thursday, he was ten strokes off the lead. He was. Um, it was brilliant. And he was six shots off the lead heading into the final round yesterday. Um, played really well. Sheffer obviously didn't play as well as anticipated uh, in the final round, and that certainly helped the field. But the manner of McElroy's win, he held a great put on 15, uh, which really gave him a lot of momentum coming down the couple, last couple of holes. And uh, even though he had a really poor shot into 18, uh, he got the job done. Sheffer failed to get up and down from the bunker on the right and uh, yeah McElroy I mean 18 million dollars but I think more significantly given the year that's in it and all that's happened politically in the game I would imagine that the PGA Tour Chiefs are quite happy that McElroy is the player that has triumphed at the end of it all and the fact that there was kind of that crescendo and finish last night with a bit of drama um, certainly gives them a shot in the arm uh, and was it easy for McElroy in the end? Like, no, it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. I mean, Sung Jae-in was in the mix as well and he finished in a tie for second with Scheffler on 20 under. McElroy was 21 under and him actually had quite a, well, a relatively easy pitch on 18 that uh, you would back him to get up and down probably six or seven times out of 10 and he failed to uh, to get to 21 under and then McElroy just had to par the last and uh, managed to do that. But McElroy looked brilliant, I thought, all week. Um, obviously, you mentioned the triple bogey on the first on Thursday. And he fell t- 10 shots behind Scheffler after the second on, on Thursday. But he looked fantastic. He drove the ball brilliantly. And uh, evidence of that was on 18 last night when he just striped it down there. And uh, was in was in position A1. And his game generally all week was, was very good. And I suppose if you compare the performance last night and this week to the Open Championship, probably just his putter behaved a little bit better on Sunday than it did at the Open Championship when he when he came up to short and ultimately that was the difference uh, last night so his third FedEx Cup title uh, the only player to have achieved that Tiger Woods has two McIlroy has three now 16, 19 and now 22 so uh, quite a big achievement for him and obviously the prize money as well but I suppose does he look at this year as a bit of a failure I suppose he played so well all year it's hard to describe it as a failure but ultimately he wants uh, he wants major championships, but it remarkably consistent uh, throughout the year. McIlroy, I think. Um, I think if you win the FedEx, it's a good year, right? Like there are going to be years when you don't win majors, and there's years when his game has not been as impressive as it has been over the last while. But you kind of want to capitalise on the hot streak, like exactly, playing yeah. excellent golf, and like we know the fine margins at that level that there's a chance he doesn't play that well as well as this season, next I, season. I know, I know, you're making the point that they all play for their legacy and for titles. But it's also their job, and he has just won 18 million. 
in in one go. Well, wait till Monday night golf starts. That'll make him probably more money than eighteen million <laughs> and uh, a bit easier. I still think that winning eighteen million one go is going to be like the crack. Yeah, you know, it's like I just want eighteen million today. Yeah, they tonight when I go home and I check my balance. I mean, I'll, I'll, after tax, in, in one of the accounts. Um, well, yeah. he, he actually made the point, I think, uh, in one of his press conferences last night that the advantage for him over other players is that he actually doesn't care about money and he doesn't need money and that takes the pressure off his shoulders a little bit, which is an interesting take. Well, he did He did have that great line about, like, um, you know, we moved house. The difference between me now and, and when I started is, like, I live in a slightly bigger house, but I still live in the same three rooms, yeah. you know? They're yeah. just nicer. Yeah. Uh, that made me feel good about myself. I think uh, Living in your one room. Yeah, yeah. I just need two more of those and then I'm like uh, Roy McElroy yeah. yeah I don't mean that I mean that because you're a hermit obviously that was, yeah, the, yeah, that yeah. was the implication there in case anybody was like oh that's, sorry just uh, you know if not just be elitist Joe Gilroy <laughs> exactly it came across badly didn't it yeah at least I corrected it straight away he, his, um, his tone towards the other players I think has softened somewhat when it comes to live McElroy like yeah. compared to where, what it was two months ago yeah. I think yesterday he was kind of saying it's been tough on the players as well who've actually moved to live it's been tough on the PGA players and I think that's probably because he realises that some of his buddies or people that he would have been relatively um, amicable with are, are jumping ship this week and he also made the point that I think he's coming over to play in Wentworth in a couple of weeks um, in the BMW PGA and he said I think there's going to be 18 players or something like that that have gone to live there and he said it will be slightly awkward so I mean, I don't think he can roll back from the comments that he's made and he's been so strong on it that it, there certainly will be a bit of awkwardness maybe. But I think there's a general sense uh, amongst everybody that probably everybody's going to have to come together at some stage and try and sort all of this out and, and uh, kind of very sharp rhetoric uh, isn't going to help that process when they do come together. So maybe they, they will roll back a little bit. But there's been an interesting enough development last night in that uh, Joaquin Neiman, who's the, he's only 23, he's one of the, Hot properties, if you like, in the game. He was the number one amateur uh, a couple of years ago. He was apparently at that meeting with Woods and McElroy that he's going to jump ship to live, which is really going to sting um, because he's you know only 23. He's one of the youngest players on the tour. I think he's 15th in the world or somewhere around there. He's the youngest player that's in the top 20. And it doesn't really fit the character of player, the, the bill of player that has gone to live so far and that they're at the other end of their careers. And... Uh, I think the fact that he was at that meeting with McElroy and Woods as well kind of would suggest that uh, maybe he's been made a, a bigger offer since that has happened and that they feel like it would be, Liv would feel that if they can get him across the line that it would uh, be another kind of signal towards the PGA Tour that they can kind of catch these guys and, and get them over to them. So if that happens, uh, it'll be a big coup and obviously Cameron Smith is likely to be confirmed as well. And you also have coming down the line the President's Cup uh, which is going to be affected by all of these players defecting over to live and eligibility concerns. And there was interesting comments. I don't know if you saw, watched uh, John Ram made um, when it emerged, obviously McEnroy and Woods, about the 20 tournaments that the players have committed to play in now across the season where the best players will come together more often uh, to offer a stronger product. And John Ram uh, basically when he was asked about it in his press conference, looked like he didn't really know what was uh, going on, what the criteria was. And he also broached the idea of, well, if I've got to play 20 events over here in the States, I've also got to play four on the DP World Tour to be eligible to play in the Ryder Cup. Suddenly your schedule is becoming very, very, uh, very, very tight indeed. And it's asking a lot of players. So, yeah. And he said then to finish, I think the last part that I saw was, well, if you want to know about the plans, you know, the two players to ask. 
which suggested that it was a bit tetchy. Yeah, I hadn't actually seen that. Like, it's interesting now that golf is kind of like, I guess, realise what the problem is, or at least are speaking about what the problem is. And that is, you know, the, the like, it's not a problem at all, but it's the, the, it's the same players in the same field at the big events. To some people, it just isn't happening enough. So they're trying to address that. It almost feels like they're trying to kind of ring fence the talent here and obviously keep them in the PGA Tour and ensure that they're repeating uh, week after week. Like to the point where I wonder, could golf maybe nudge itself towards... Not completely like it, but uh, towards Formula One, where you do have kind of like the same characters every week. There's kind of like a smaller collection yeah. of uh, of people actually competing in the sport at the very top level, obviously getting paid more than they've ever got paid before. But is that ultimately where the PGA Tour is going to end up? Well, that's where Live Golf wants it to go, right? That's but their... That's they've put that flag in the ground already. Yeah. yeah. But then how does Joachim Neiman get in? How, how does he... How do you discover who the next 23-year-old who's capable of being in that pool... You know, you need these feeder tours that nobody will watch, even though they could be the best young golfer in the world. Yeah. But because of the Heritage Act element of it, everybody wants to go and see whatever player it is. Like The Heritage Act element will die off after a while, to a degree. Obviously, there will be some of them there. But if they keep adding players like Cameron Smith and Wacken Neiman to the roster, then they're going to le- need fewer Charles Schwartzels, for example. Maybe, yeah. From Liv's perspective, yeah, yeah. I, I, sorry, yes, but the like the end is that um, the most compelling stuff is generally the majors, right? Mm. Even though there was eighteen million up for last night, and we're probably a bit biased because we're Irish watching Rory McIlroy. There's been years when I've watched that tournament and gone, "This isn't very good." Like, yeah, who, who, was Chip? Was it Beck? Did he win? That's yeah, a fair point. I think it's like. I think the majors are definitely the feather in the cap for the established tours still and they always will be because the players that have gone to live still want to play in the majors as well and they're the ones that count most in terms of establishing a legacy and what the titles are worth and so on and so forth but the you know if players keep going to live um you know it's only going to go one way and you know if they can keep throwing money at, at players like as Joaquin Neiman's are reportedly getting 100 million at 23 years of age like it's just astronomical um but McElroy and, and all those players that have stuck with the PGA Tour, they are, like Lee Westwood had some strong comments and, and different people who had strong comments about the PGA Tour's plans and McElroy and Wood's plans that they're more or less taking it out of the live book, if you like. <laughs> but uh, like, stop, stop whining, Lee. With all due respect, stop whining. Like the, the thing, your point about like the FedEx Cup, for example, is an interesting one because I don't think it's overly compelling to watch very rich people try and win more money. Mm. Like, it doesn't feel very high stakes. Like, watching local man down the road winning 30 grand on winning streak is probably more higher stakes than watching Roy McIlroy win 18 million in one fell swoop. So, uh, I don't think that's ever going to be the compelling reason why people watch sport is, you know, professional people getting more money. Uh, so, like, and that obviously is the unique selling point of the FedEx Cup. Yeah, was it Bill Haas? Is that the one I'm trying to remember? Bill Haas versus yeah. uh, Hunter Mayhem. That's 11 years ago. Um, yeah, Bill Haas won it, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, it obviously looks like it's been pretty good in recent seasons where they fixed it so that the guy has the lead. But like even then, that, that all is like, this isn't a proper competition, really? Yeah, it's a bit strange. I mean, Schefter starting, was it on 10 under on Thursday? It is a bit strange and hard to understand. But it, it, it does give, the, I suppose you have to give the player that comes in with the best form and the best... Uh, play all year the, the little bit of an advantage when it is kind of an order of merit scenario but 
I mean, you consider Colin Montgomery won eight uh, European Tour Order of Merits, but he never won a major title, and his career is probably considered uh, a little bit of... He's obviously hugely disappointed that he never won a major title, so it does show... You were going to call him a failure. You nearly had it. Go on. He's a uh, failure. I wouldn't say failure. I wouldn't say <laughs> failure, but he nearly, he nearly got there in a couple of times, but I think he would consider himself unlucky, definitely, not to have won a major. But that shows that that's where players want to be, and they still want to win the major titles, but... Owen makes a valid point there about Formula 1 and I think McElroy compared golf to Formula 1 in that when people tr- tune into a race they want to see Lewis Hamilton or Verstappen or these guys and they will be there every week whereas if you tune into a golf tournament you don't really know who's going to be there yeah. are the major championships and then the obvious comparison there is when uh, the Netflix version of Drive to Survive or the golf version of Drive to Survive eventually ends up hitting our screens that's going to be a humongous win for the PGA Tour yeah like yeah. that's that, that's the secret sauce here, unless uh, they've steal that as well. And they're like, "Hey, Netflix, maybe all the you stars don't need to pay us anything. We'll pay you." Yeah, I'm sure. The PJ Tour obviously will control the eventual broadcast, so um, it'll be interesting to see what they put in it. From McElroy's perspective, he talked about uh, the ideal time to take the lead is on the 70th hole or the 52nd hole if you're playing somewhere else. And it's true, though, right? From yeah. his perspective into the future, we were just saying he needs to blitz the field by 10 strokes if he's going to win his next major or he needs to come from behind from like not playing in the final two ball maybe playing the third or fourth final group and shoot the lights out post the score and win it that way well he's almost done that a couple of times hasn't he when you can think back to the Masters where he made a huge burst on the final day and that's what he's done in a lot of tournaments this year I think he's only finished outside the top 25 uh, three times this year and a lot of the times he'd be out of contention on Sunday and come with a really really strong final round uh, to get himself up the leaderboard it's hard to know I mean he's going to take a lot of confidence from this year um, is he a good front runner probably would say himself that he's not that he hasn't been uh, recently um, but last night he pr- he was in contention pretty much all the back nine I mean the, the lead that Scheffler had was eroded on the front nine and McElroy was in the mix and then he makes the, the burst towards the end where he birdies 15 and gets in front um, but he's going to take huge confidence from this year despite the fact that he didn't get over the line in the majors but top 10 in all four and uh, Obviously, April, he'll be wanting April to come around pretty quick for the Masters again. But really, I think McElroy now at this stage, majors are nothing. Uh, you know, you can talk about FedEx Cups and you can talk about Ryder Cups and all this sort of stuff. But really, it's about majors for McElroy. And at 33, he probably has, you would say, the guts of a decade left uh, at the top end of the game. And his stats this year have been brilliant, you know, across the board, really. Uh, his short game has improved. His driving accuracy has been really, really good uh, and especially good last night. So if he can kind of trend in that direction and keep going that direction, I think there's only one outcome and he will end that major drought. But the longer it goes on, the more difficult it's going to be. All right, Carl, good stuff. Is there anything else going on that we should be aware of? Well, just uh, some SSE or Tricity League action tonight here at home. Uh, second place, Dundalk go to Sligo Rovers, Bohemians against St. Pat's and Shelburne against Derry City. At the US Open Tennis, Serena Williams uh, in action tonight. Looks like it's going to be her final uh, Grand Slam. And in Get It Games, some interesting news emerging from Tyrone. Uh, Connor McKenna uh, looks like he's going to be out of action for Tyrone because he's uh, departing back to the AFL, having previously played in the AFL, of course, but he picked up his All-Ireland medal with Tyrone, uh, having returned in recent, recent years, and they, of course, won the title in uh, 2021. So there are some of the headlines this morning. All right, as we said earlier, a huge loss for Tyrone if that does come to pass, and it looks like it is on the way. So uh, 10 minutes past nine, there is some breaking news as well. Um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang has been robbed at gunpoint in his house. Um, El Pais are reporting that um, he was robbed 
uh, beaten and threatened with a firearm. Uh, no word yet on how he is, but uh, apparently they took valuable items from a safe, including pieces of jewellery, before fleeing. Uh, so I don't know if that's going to have any impact on uh, Aubameyang and whether or not he stays uh, where he is at the moment. Uh, but I obviously hope that he's okay and that his family are okay. Um, there was a story overnight about a, one of the Washington commanders' running backs being uh, shot in a carjacking as well. I think his um, condition is not said to be life-threatening, but the report comes through and then the third line of the piece is uh, he had established himself as the uh, early downs running back and it's basically the fantasy implications are so if you have this guy you need to replace him for now. It's like... That's kind of mad. Something that really is top of his priority list. It definitely is not top of his priority list but it's also you can you can tell like it's clearly the thing that is going to do the business yeah. in the... So... Um, yeah. You don't want to think about that too long do you? 12 minutes past 9 this morning the Premier League is back we've teamed up with one of Europe's largest sports events ticketing and hospitality companies Champions Travel to give you the opportunity to win a 250 euro Champions Travel voucher each day this week these can be used on Premier League match trips as well as on a host of other sporting trips Uh, daily winners will also be entered into a grand prize draw where one lucky winner will win a trip from a selection of Premier League games with flights and two nights accommodation included to enter all you have to do is tell us who this mystery voice is there's a lot of eyes on there's a lot of pressure on they have to fill the jersey and like I said it's not a sleeping joint it's a joint yeah you can tweet us your guess on our main Twitter account which is at off the ball and a reminder of course we're with you every morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day here's what's coming up on OTB Sports Radio for you today OTB Gold is Declan Murphy at Centaur Splunk is at 3 Classic Game Club is Ireland England at Italian 90 uh, OTB Gold at 6 is Dr Harry Edwards talking about OJ Simpson and the show is live tonight with Johnny Ward in this very seat you can follow us across all our social channels and make sure you subscribe on YouTube after the break Alan Quinlan is back to talk Ireland defeated Japan and the Rugby Championship OTB AM uh, so absolutely remarkable scenes in the Rugby Championship um, Argentina beat the All Blacks and Australia beat South Africa Alan Quinlan is with us Alan good morning to you how are you? Morning lads how are you? Topsy-turvy uh, world of rugby at the moment I uh, don't think anybody had Argentina going to New Zealand and winning after New Zealand getting their win and the monkey off the back and they managed to beat South Africa and okay everything's grand Joe Schmidt is in let's go and then Michael Checker arrives and just pokes them in the eye and says you forgot about us didn't you? Yeah it was um, a little bit surprising for everybody but I think uh, given what Argentina did the last time out at, um, at home to Australia you know beating them 48-17 I think that was Probably would have raised a few um, a few eyebrows that performance as well. Um, you know, Scotland probably they won one test in Argentina. Probably should have won the last test. You know, they lost the series. So you're kind of trying to figure out over the summer where where were Argentina? Um, you know, under Michael Checa, Contepomi's back in there. Um, you know, does it does it kind of dilute Ireland's performances? Um, a little bit uh, over the summer. I, I'm not sure. Um, but certainly there's issues with New Zealand rugby and that team. And um, it was it was, a, it was a great match. It was a great bite, great intensity. And they struggled big time, New Zealand, um, with, the, with the breakdown and, and their discipline. Again, they seemed to skip away a lot of penalties. So uh, no love lost afterwards either. Michael Checker was asked about... You know, Ian Foster was talking about the referee and uh, he kind of fired back at Ian Foster and um, 
you know, particularly talking about the breakdown, Foster said that you know, he was disappointed with Argentinian players not rolling away, slowing the ball down and check it in as well. He'd know all about it because they're experts at that. So um, it was interesting looking at, you know, to see Joe Schmidt in the coaching box uh, for the first time as well, uh, fully involved. Um, but Argentina certainly kind of, uh, you know, that's the first time in their history that they've won in New Zealand, um, like Ireland in June, in July. So, um, yeah, it was a fantastic win for them, but lots of issues and problems kind of arose again for New Zealand. What does it say about our wins there? Does it say that maybe we should, like, rein ourselves in here? There's a very, very even uh, rugby world at the moment, more even than it seems like it's ever been. Um, and so uh, whoever is in form next year in September, October, is going to be the ones who win the World Cup as opposed to, oh, be the best team in the world yeah. now for the next year and a half. It kind of is irrelevant who's the best now. Yeah, it is. And I would like 2018, I think, um, regarding reeling ourselves in, I think we've learned from that probably a few years ago when, you know, not publicly everyone wasn't jumping and, and certainly the team themselves weren't saying we're going to go and win a World Cup in 2019. But, you know, the hype and the excitement is there and um, it was a brilliant year for Ireland. Uh, we've gone over that so many times, you know, winning in in Australia, beating New Zealand in, in Dublin, England for a Grand Slam in Twickenham. You know, you have to celebrate that. <clears throat> um, 19 then started with that loss to England in Dublin and... Uh, they kind of bruised and battered Ireland and, um, you know, it, it, it ended up being a very, very disappointing year. Um, lots of uh, kind of negativity around the team after that. And, um, you know, I think you talk about the international teams kind of evening themselves out and, and uh, they've been really competitive. It, it's crazy when you look at Australia, you know, they were hammered in Argentina and they were woeful. And you look at them at the weekend, beating South Africa. They were 25-3 up with six minutes to go against the Springboks and uh, looked brilliant. Their attack was superb. Um, so there's no consistency there at the moment from any teams. Um, New Zealand in South Africa, that game in Nelspruit, they were hammered the week after in jo- Johannesburg. Um, they beat South Africa. So um, a lot of kind of unpredictable results at the moment. But there's one thing you'll always get against Argentina is competitiveness, desire, passion. They're going to be in your face all day. And, and that's just the nature of, of, of the character, the type of players. I think obviously they're, they're very well coached as well. Um, Buffelli kicked, kicked all these penalties and, con- and the conversion as well and punished New Zealand for their you know, lack of discipline and uh, probably frustration. So New Zealand are in a place that particularly with Ireland, um, at home and this loss at home that you know that aura that we speak about is is um is being chiseled away a little bit and you know they're usually the dominant side who are kind of playing with pace tempo bullying the opposition being really physical and we've always kind of if you're a rugby fan you've all you, you'd have to admire what you know, the All Blacks, the standard of this set in their history and the dominance they've always had and the way they've played. But it's probably good for the game, but it's certainly not good if you're a New Zealand rugby fan at the moment because, you know, another loss at home like this, it's uh, three consecutive losses for the first time in their history. So they're kind of breaking 
all kinds of records. Um, they've lost six of their last eight test matches, which is, again, you have to kind of check yourself. And I had to go back and look at these results. There was, you know, France, Ireland in November, two against Ireland um, in, in, in July. The loss in uh, South Africa and now the loss to Argentina. So six losses in Argentina in eight tests is something you don't kind of associate with them. I still think they have a lot of good players, and I think still think they'll probably turn this around with better coaching and the changes that they've made. Um, but they're not as formidable as as we've seen New Zealand teams in previous years. Do you, do you expect there to be? more significant changes to the coaching ticket at least because it does feel that they've somewhat backed themselves into a corner by backing Ian Foster last week and Schmidt was almost the change that they've made and I guess they were hoping that that would be enough change. Yeah, well, they brought in a new forwards coach and defence coach as well and uh, mm. and Joe Schmidt coming in. So I don't think they're going to change anything at this stage, make any drastic sort of change because um, they backed him to take him to, through to the, the end of the World Cup. So... Um, you know, if you break it up again, it's more uncertainty. So I, I think they're going to have to try and um, stick together and probably learn that, you know, they're not this dominant force as they were. And that's just the way they, the, the rugby world is kind of evening itself out a little bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens then in November when they play Scotland, Wales and England. Um, you know, how they fare in those games. I think that'll be probably... Um, a really good measure at the end of their season of where they're at. Um, if they get three positive results there, then you know maybe they learn a lot from this and, and probably transition a few more players through. But you've got to give massive credit to Argentina and and Michael Checa and, and Felipe Cantapomi and and what they they're doing. Um, interestingly, I was looking at the teams who played um, who started on Saturday for for um, for Argentina and. You know, 10 of those players started against Ireland in November. Well, nine. Um, there was a couple on the bench. So there was about 15 or 16 of that 23 played against Ireland last November. Ireland beat them 53-7. So does that mean we're, we're way better than Argentina as well? No, it doesn't. <laughs> but it just shows the kind of crazy nature of some of these results, you know, and uh, um, the kind of efforts in, coach, uh, in coaching that... Just how important the game is gone with regard having a plan, structure, keeping your discipline. And a squad, um, right? The other, and yeah, and a squad. The a lot of them are trying to get depth, Ger. They're yeah. trying to get depth and they're trying to check. You know, we heard Andy Farrell talk about the type of characters he wants and the, the mental tests. You know, with a, if you don't get carried away with a result like that, you can really build on it. And they go to, you know, they go to Hamilton next week and, it's probably a similar situation to Ireland now going to um, uh, going to Wellington for that third test. What what will that be like? What will the backlash be like? But I think because they'll probably look at Ireland as well and think, well, you know, we, we're we right in this. But I thought there was times in the game, particularly early on, it was 15-6 in New Zealand and they're a very, very impatient team. They're trying to score off first, second, third phase, throwing crazy passes, offloading onto the tackle, um, you know, trying to blow teams away really early with their attack. Um, there's no sort of patience there at all. And I think they need to learn that. I still think they've got a lot of X-Factor players, brilliant attack. They're not as good, obviously, up front as they would like to be, I think. Um, and actually in the game on, sat- on, on Saturday morning, 
it was their front five who actually played quite well. Their scrum and lineout was pretty dominant. Um, I know they lost a couple of lineouts, but um, no sort of patience in in what they're trying to do. And again, I, I just I'm just finishing this one before before you ask again. Their discipline is shocking at times. Um, I just think they make really bad decisions if they lose the ball and they end up backing it up with giving away a penalty. But the referee on Saturday, the Georgian referee, Amish Kelly, Amish U Kelly, yeah, he's uh, he's the guy who refereed. Um, he's pretty inexperienced, the Georgian guy. And um, I just thought some of his decisions were pretty hard on New Zealand. And um, that's what Ian Foster was talking about after the game. But realistically, they've, they've no one to blame on it themselves. Well, that's the type of thing you can fix, though, right? And, and like, you know, Josh Smith, over a period of time, turned Ireland into one of those teams that never... Uh, conceded stupid penalties we went from conceding loads uh, to almost none so it'd be interesting to see if there's an impact on that I did want to bring up two other things um, news broke in the last 24 hours or so that we're going to have an emerging Ireland squad that Andy Farrell brings to South Africa for 10 days and three three matches um, in September players who are going to be taken out of uh, URC action and when you were talking about the, the chaos that um, the rugby championship has been, uh, like you, you look at the various teams that South Africa have put out, I don't think South Africa really mind if they win or lose the rugby championship if it comes down to the fact that they have 50 players who are of international standard when the World Cup happens. And it probably feels like Andy Farrell has decided, having had some success with the midweek tour or the midweek games in uh, New Zealand this is a really good opportunity for him to like just get that next tier ready for when the inevitable injury crisis happens in time for the World Cup and this it seems like on the face of it a really good idea yeah it does seem like a really good idea I know some um, maybe some of the, the provinces won't be pleased or the URC won't be pleased that these players are coming up but look the nature of September anyway is um, there's a lot of chopping and changing and um we, that's always always happens with the league, and nobody has a full side or are fully bedded back in having a full side. So, um, you know, obviously the RFU or the bosses and the provinces, of course, will will work with them in that. Um, and in 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 principle, it's a very good idea. I think getting a group together, getting some more <clears throat> kind of togetherness, coaching, implementing what kind of structures and depths um, into the squad. Um, would be a very, very good idea. And obviously going to South Africa, I'm not sure who they're going to play yet or what the fixtures are, but um, again, getting a group away on on tour and similar to the Ireland women's team going to Japan, the benefits of going on tour and being together, um, getting to know people around you and building your confidence, self-belief and working with the coaches kind of, you know, from seven or eight o'clock in the morning till 10 o'clock at night if you want because you're in the hotel you're together you can have little one-on-one meetings you can change habits of players um i think that will be usually beneficial for for that next group and i think that that's the the probably the biggest area that ireland needs to to keep pushing on and, and every side does i think australia are very stretched at the moment and they're actually doing pretty okay and um, that resulted the weekend obviously against South Africa but they have a lot of injuries they have a lot of kind of perceived second string players playing for them and doing really well so yeah. um, for us it's about depth and getting players who are comfortable in that really big kind of uh, in, uh, 
pressurized environment and, yeah. and making good decisions under pressure. In fairness, that we would always have been critical of the IRFU's insistence that uh, the first team must play every game in the Six Nations and we must always treat those as must-win fixtures. If you're trying to develop a squad for the World Cup, you can't do that. And here, at least, they're putting their money where their mouth is and they're sending the team to South Africa with the head coach and presumably the full coaching ticket to give them the opportunity to get more exposure so that uh, at least if there is a crisis down the line he'll have had access and they will know what the demands of being in the international setup are much better than if they were like coming to train in Carton House and then getting shuffled back out for the weekends it's just different they're playing the Greekas the Cheetahs and the Pumas in 10 days so uh, it'll be interesting to see exactly what the crack is with that um, you mentioned there the benefits of the tour and being with the, the coaching ticket we were talking uh, Neve Briggs over the last couple of weeks from Japan and she was making that point too that going on tour with the team and the setup allowed them to have a much bigger influence over the players unfortunately they couldn't back up the first brilliant performance with a second win and that's also I think maybe something that we have to accept with the women's game at the moment the national side that uh, it's not going to be a straight line in terms of success for the group yeah, I think after, look, winning the first test so dominantly and uh, I suppose uh, the feel-good factor of, of that result. Um, and I've been following kind of the tour diaries online and videos they've put up and they seem like they're having a brilliant time. Um, it's a new environment for, for all of them, really. Um, and again, like I mentioned a minute ago, you know, you have... You have the coaches around all the time. You're in a hotel. You can do little videos. You can do walkthroughs. You can do one-on-one meetings. The players can chat with each other. They can really work on their skill development. The amount of work and benefit you get, and we often see some of the GEA teams there going away for three days. Um, and honestly, the amount of work you can get done in that period of time, as opposed to meeting up for a training session, trying to put meetings at the end of it people are traveling home they've got to go back to their families when you're away from home you can really switch on and and this is a new kind of scenario for them and it was brilliant tour um to to level the series i think um you know greg mcwilliams himself said after the game that they didn't really fire a shot in that second test there was probably reasons for that first of all japan were always going to bounce back as it happens in sport and and come out with probably more of an aggressive approach um the heat was a major factor and major issue for the Irish players um, for that second test. Um, conditions are incredibly hot there. It's unbelievably humid. I think emotionally, having that kind of high pitch the week before, um, learning about you know how you become really ruthless and, and back it up is something that that comes with experience in, in all sports, um, how you deal with that. Uh, but lots of positive. I think the set pieces were, were very strong throughout the, the tour. Um, skill development needs to improve more, for sure. I think we have seen we saw some brilliant tries in that first test. And even in the second test, the two tries they scored. I think the, the catch pass, the speed of delivery. Um, I think Japan, their breakdown was, was superb in that second test. And probably if you were looking at a team as how you want to attack it's unfortunately Ireland could look at Japan what they did and the, the catch pass the speed of it was phenomenal at times and they just cut Ireland open at times and they didn't you know they didn't get their defensive line sorted so and you could kind of go into the technical details of what they did wrong in that second test but overall I think it was a very positive experience and the performance in the first test was brilliant um, but 
like most of the players said themselves in the interviews, they've got to learn from that and be able to back it up and, and find a way to hold on to the ball and kind of limit your, your mistakes and uh, bring bring that execution and back it up from the week before. So yeah. uh, nine new players capped as well. So, you know, again, Greg Williams and, and Neve Briggs are trying to get some depth in the squad. Uh, but I think a really, really big positive um couple of weeks for the Irish players and you know lots of them can look forward to getting contracts now and and preparing in a different uh, in a different way around yeah. nutrition and, and full-time training so it's a game changer uh, really. yeah. from where we are were a year ago um, they're in a really good place and I think there's lots of positives to take out of it alright Alan good stuff thanks a million for joining us cheers Cheers, lads. It's uh, 9.33 this morning. That's Alan Quillen there giving us his thoughts. A reminder, we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Uh, one quick rugby comment for you. Connor Joy says, the next implosion at the World Cup will be one of the best yet. Is Ireland beating New Zealand still the best sporting achievement this country has seen? Well, if they uh, win the World Cup next year, they'll probably knock it off its perch. Sorry, making a semi-final next year will probably knock it off its perch. So it's still in at number one for now. A few wins and all the dummies. Oh, I've done that one, sorry. Uh, good morning, lads. My second last day. I've done, I've done that one too, yeah. United playing this weekend and aren't in the red. Light the beacons. Things have changed. Yeah, no, no Manchester United performance rankings. Things are different. Uh, Owen leaving the Cork footballers out of his top 12 next year and then scuttling off before they show him up by blazing into the top 10. Typical, says Owen Hurley. Yeah, that was the day it was all done, really. You, what, what's your biggest fear? Um, that's my biggest fear. Like beyond the, the, the entire If Kerry are in an all final, will you have to come home for that? Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I, was, I was actually going to say the population of Ireland being wiped out by these new poisonous spiders that you were talking about earlier. That's probably my biggest fear. But a close second is Kerry not winning the All-Ireland next year. It's, uh, that would be a sleepless night proposition. So, would you come home for a semi-final? Oh, yeah. Oh, you can't. What do you mean I can't? You can't, you can't be coming home for a football match. Uh, but no, I would like plan like a, a prolonged period of being around, you know. I wouldn't just like fly in and fly out. So your trip's over? Uh, bad for the environment. Possibly, yeah. Like you're kind of like that. The carry football is going to bring you home. Um, just, they've just won in all Ireland. But like, I mean, it's, there's always next year. There's, there's always another year. And it's like, but also some, somewhere in Ireland is not uh, bad. So you're not going for a year at all? I might. I, it's like, summer now. Yeah, yeah in the summer it's autumn officially so yeah it has to be like September uh, this is changing you've changed this is, well okay can- cancel all the going away he's not going away I don't know what the hell I'm at <laughs> I'm a mess so the, I am a mess the new whatever the, whatever we're calling the new round robins you're like I, I can't miss those yeah yeah first one ever can't miss uh, Kerry against Clare next summer uh, it'll be Monaghan probably they'll be up uh, you yeah, know, they'll play Clare every Clare. year yeah so there has to be something new that you haven't seen. You've seen Monaghan, you've seen Kildare. Yeah. yeah. You're not really selling uh, the idea of coming home. Well, uh, you're, you're, you're uh, basically telling me go and stay out. For a game, for a game that you will expect them to win. Yeah, well, it'd be, most, it'd be mostly like just like a, a collection of different things if you could like get home for a, f- a few bits and pieces. Again, uh, just and, then, re- and then head off just, again. I, I don't know, it's reiterate. Oh my I, goodness. I am, uh, oh my goodness. I am a mess. It's all coming out now. I am a mess. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back tomorrow from half past seven for our final show with Owen Sheehan. There will be hashtag tears, hashtag Sheehan tears, hashtag baby please don't go. 
That's uh, her, uh, Col- uh, Column's going to come in and sing. Nice. Please don't go. That would be great. Gregor Paul's going to join us. We're going to play the hits for you tomorrow. Is there anything specific that you'd like us to do on your last day? Uh, not really, to be honest. I think, you know, we just, I'm just going to miss it so much that I just in another normal day is... Get through it perfect. stoically. Yeah, yeah. It's, that's the perfect send-off. Normality. Because uh, I don't think, yeah, things might not be normal for a while. Gregor Paul's going to join us to talk about New that Zealand. That sounded a lot cooler in my head. <laughs> <laughs> but I followed through with it. Stop with you, I was like, just stop talking now. And yet still, here you are. <laughs> Shane Hand's going to talk to us about the Belgian Grand Prix. Apparently some stuff happened. It was uh, it was good or bad, depending on your... On your <laughs> I'm sorry that happened. <laughs> or I'm really happy for you. <laughs> there will be a special episode of You Had to Be There, plus much more besides. OTB... With Gillette, get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.